2: and a good thursday morning to you thanks for tuning in to kevin and query here on another nice start as i feel like this week i don't maybe last week with how short it was I Feel like this week is really dragging it's like oh wait uh this is how a five-day work week operates
1: <laughs> you were also on vacation for like 12 days also
3: you know they told me yesterday and this usually is what they tell you before you're getting ready to get laid off
2: i believe it was three days
3: mark they <laughs> called me in and said you know you got some comp days to you to burn so I said, oh, really? Okay.
2: Well, we'll see how you... Now, those come courtesy of the holidays that, that we work? Were-
3: Correct. We've worked every corporate holiday so far this year. Mm-hmm. Or at least, I have. Uh- <laughs> we all have. We're uh, all
1: in this together. I've, I've got several
3: comp days that i be Mark, you haven't worked a five-day work camp. week since, like, the Nixon administration. <laughs> wow.
1: Well, that would be pretty interesting, <laughs> considering my age.
3: I'm just kidding. Um, but it is, you know, it's beautiful out. And then, speaking of working, I'm doing double duty today because... Uh, After the show, actually around the lunchtime hour, I'm going to be scooping ice cream for the Ice Cream Social on the circle for the American Dairy Association of Indiana. So folks, if you are downtown or you work downtown around 1230 and you want some ice cream, I'll make you a sundae.
2: You know, I think the circle looks great right now. It does look good. Who knows how it'll impact, you know, the walkability or the crowds downtown and, you know, how many people come down and actually experience it, Uh, but especially if you have young kids and even if you don't um you know basically the what would you call that the western part of the circle southwest southwest part of the circle's yep. got some nice astroturf some fun activities for you so From 6 p.m to 9 p.m i don't mean hour
3: wise i mean if figuratively if you're looking at a clock right
2: well it's always like i mean i was walking out to lunch the other day and people were no 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 i'm saying experience that i'm
3: saying geographically speaking you're looking at monument circle from the six o'clock to the nine o'clock of the circle the southwest spoke
2: yeah so it's it's great effort and nice attempt and we'll see how things um transpire what all do they have down there i've seen ping pong tables is that right yeah i mean think about just like your little outdoor of a ping pong cornhole those sorts of activities i mean a lot of like seating uh, areas um and it just, it looks totally different. And honestly, it looks very much like something you would see probably in another city when they're trying to create some sort of, um, you know, main walkable area. And that's exactly what they're trying to achieve. And I, I don't know, Jake, I think you and I or, and Mark certainly would be people that would like use the circle a decent amount for driving of anybody. It's not like I miss driving on the circle at all.
3: Yeah, I very rarely drive on the circle. When I come down, I usually go down Capitol and then across because our car, our garage is on Illinois. Yeah. Or I go south on Pennsylvania to Washington and across. So. Yeah,
2: hey. if you're trying to draw people downtown, I mean, I think this is, um, you know, shot the dartboard. So I appreciate the effort on that front, and it sounds like if people want to come down today, they're going to get a little scoop of ice cream and sprinkles from Jake.
3: That's right. Um, Now what? uh, What do you get? By the way, you are you a hot fudge, chocolate, or butterscotch topping guy, or caramel?
2: Well, out of those that you listed, I would go hot fudge, Mark. Caramel.
3: All right, I go butterscotch. See that? That's why this show Mm. works, Mm -hmm. right? We have a little for everybody. I guess unless you are a caramel guy. Although I like... I just said caramel. Oh, no, I That's said, me. I'm, I'm him. I'm sorry, chocolate. Because you said hot That's fudge, right? That's why this show works. <laughs> We're <laughs> great <laughs> listeners <That's laughs> for everybody here. That's right. I have my earbud on, on the side towards you, Mark. I can't hear a thing you're saying. Oh, thanks. Uh, but nonetheless, as Kevin had said, good morning to you on a Thursday. And we have a lot to talk about, even though it is kind of you know, one of those strange times of the year where there are no live sports going on for the most part. But last night, the United States... And Panama. I looked up because what do we do on this show, Mark? We educate, entertain, and occasionally listen. <laughs> that's right. Last night I looked up Panama, who defeated the United States in penalty kicks, but it was pretty cool to watch. Good crowd in San Diego. I realize that's like the United States. Nice. There you go. Uh, although I don't know that you should be playing that considering they, they beat them. But um, the Gold Cup, the CONCACAF, I hope I said that correctly, Gold Cup semifinals. Panama advances on penalty kicks over the United States. Panama, if it was a United States state, would rank where in terms of land size and where
2: in terms of population? Oh, it's gotta be D de- it's gotta be in the forties, right? For which? I was two, two different answers. I'd say definitely land size. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that. You say um, in the forties, okay, population? Uh let's go thirty three. Mark?
1: Twenty eight. In
3: which one? Land size or population? Population. Land size, you would say what? Boy, I don't know. 30th. It would be 41st in land size, the (laughs) the 41st biggest state just below South Carolina. It would be 27th in population if it were a U.S. state. It's pretty close. But um, I didn't watch all of it. I actually flipped over. Modern technology is amazing. I'm sitting there last night and... There were, you know, a couple of different things on television. And on my high school group text that I'm on, some, you know, it came up, oh, they're getting ready to go into penalty kicks. One of our friends on the group text, who was my college roommate, but we went to North Central together, lives in Auckland, New Zealand. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm trying to find it like online. I'm trying to stream it. And he's actually a soccer ref in Auckland, New Zealand. So he loves soccer. And. He was like, I'm trying to find it. Like, are they getting ready to start the penalty kicks? And I thought, wait a minute. Modern technology. So I FaceTimed him. I'm like, here. I just set the phone on like a little stand and just let him watch the television. Is uh, This is, I would assume, legal. Maybe I broke some sort of laws of communication. So he watched the penalty kick shootout. We watched it together. He sat there and stared at my television, and I stared at the television. Look at that. And he watched it in Auckland. Solid quality? I mean, that is yeah. He, I was like, can you see it all right? And he's like, dude, clear as a bell. I'm like, wow. okay. Isn't that amazing?
2: Yeah, I actually turned over for those penalty kicks. I always think those are high, high drama. But I again, I, judging from soccer people, this thing didn't really matter too, too much. Like that was our D team, well, C team or something.
3: I hate saying this because I enjoyed watching it i have noticed that if the united states wins it's like super important if they if they lose it's always like wow well, it's not that big a deal
1: sweep it under the rug yeah. don't worry about that because the
3: coach
2: isn't even the real coach
3: but right? i think you're right i think this was basically like the not even the g league team right it was like the c league team
1: yeah it seemed
2: like from they've had a lot of coaching drama here lately but greg Bear, Bearhalter's halter's back the guy who led them at the world cup correct here's what sure will eventually be back
3: um I have always felt this, and I know it's an unpopular opinion, I understand it, and I'm not saying it to be contrarian, but like Mike deCourcy's going to join us on the program coming up at 8 o'clock, I'm sure I'll ask him this and he'll probably totally disagree with me. Scott Long, our friend, will join us at 8.30, he's got an event coming up, a fundraiser that we'll talk about, Jeremiah Johnson from the Pacers is going to join us at 9. I've always felt like when soccer matches end in a tie, as the in regulation, as they did last night at 1-1 instead of going into penalty kicks you just keep playing until sudden death w- why do you not do that
2: well i'd say two things probably the physical toll on the players okay well
3: and again sure that's part of sports right would be one i mean they, in baseball they can play 26 innings do, do they stop it eventually because players are too tired well and i, I know that it's physically demanding i get like it saying, but comparing soccer but, but kevin that's demands. here is
2: here's my point I mean, they don't continue to play football. They end the game in a tie. But here's my point. At some point in in
3: soccer, the physical – and I understand it. It's grueling. The, the physical demands on a soccer player are second to none. I totally get it. But just like in tennis – remember in tennis a couple – I don't know, 10 years ago and was it the U.S. Open when the two guys went forever? Eventually – the the mental fatigue and the physical fatigue causes one of the two teams to make a mistake. And the other one's job is to capitalize on that. So if you play in a sudden death in soccer... It's not like you're going to have guys out there like crawling on the field on both sides because they are so dead tired and cramped up. One of the two teams is going to be in better physical condition than the other and is going to take advantage of a mental lapse of the other team. That's part of the strategy of sport.
2: Well, I think it's the same reason why you don't continue to play overtimes in football. You just end the game in a tie eventually.
3: Football, I, I think the one... The one difference in football would be maybe they could take into consideration the physical collision of the sport. I'm not saying that doesn't happen in soccer. But I just... I've never understood... I mean, in in football... In football, they just end it in the tie, though. They don't come out then and have, like, a a field goal kicking competition.
2: Well, college, you do the little two-point conversion thing to settle it. Yeah, I, I just... I have always It makes total felt like, sense to me. I mean, soccer is an incredibly strenuous sport from a again, standpoint. Again,
3: I don't dispute that, Kevin. But what I'm saying is be, be, that's strenuous. The strain of the physical toll of soccer is part of the sport. That's part of what makes it so alluring to
2: people. So you are then... It's not like... You, uh, th- that's the allure of football, but you don't keep running them out there. But... You play 100... What, what did they play, 120 minutes last night? I mean, that's... T- <laughs> That's two hours. So of I, I if, they up and a, the if they go down the field, they
3: go a twenty-minute overtime. I, I, I guarantee Lord, you, a, did a thirty-minute overtime. If, did they not? If, if it, they it went if they went into it, okay, and, and then you take a break, you go another thirty minutes. Whatever. I, would fans really be that opposed to it? Like my buddy, who's the uh, soccer official. I don't official think we're about
2: fans. We, we need to think about the players that uh, are actually out there on the field uh, and the uh, physical. Uh, health. Again,
3: that, what I'm saying is, no one like the physical toll is the reason why the game would end. Because one of the two teams would be would would take advantage of the physical breakdown of the the not breakdown it's not like a guy but I'm saying the mental mistakes that happen over the course of it I, I just I I don't think it's that re, that absurd an opinion like you you play that's part of the game unfortunately and that is part of the game I yeah. think in, in in football it's a little bit different because it it. Uh, it's weird to say, like, it takes longer to score. I don't know how to word what I'm saying, but I just feel like, in particular in soccer, the physical strain of it would would lend itself to one of the two teams getting a goal fairly early on in what would be, like, an additional 30 minutes or whatever it might be. And, my- and same with hockey. I guess I, I guess hockey, they, they ultimately end up doing... They don't in the playoffs, though, right? They don't do.
2: Uh, they do uh, shootouts in the regular season.
3: Yeah, they don't. I don't think they do in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, my viewing last night was not soccer. I actually didn't even watch the SBs. I, I tuned into the Pacers summer league, and I, yeah, honestly, the experience. And by the way, great work from Michael Grady and Brendan Haywood on the call last night, and enjoyed that. Um, the viewing experience kind of turned from, you know, okay, how's Jairus Walker and Ben Shepard looking to a little bit more of the Chet Holmgren experience? Yeah, how about
3: that? 25 last night, right? Uh,
2: that was that was fun to watch, and I enjoyed the moments when Jairus Walker was matched up against him as well. I mean, the Thunder certainly played their like A version of their summer league, and the Pacers played much more of their probably C version. The Thunder get the win last night. Ben Shepard struggled in, in much more of a kind of front-leading role, but again, Jairus Walker through three games I think you continue to be very encouraged about what he can provide you and and I enjoy when you get into this back half of summer league because you know now you're throwing Walker into Shepard into different situations you know last night they were they were the guys I mean they were they needed to be kind of the lead guys along with Isaiah Wong for you Jairus Walker he just got a great feel I think on both ends of the floor and this is something that We continue to see in the Summer League. I think it was a question entering the NBA of what he would give you offensively because Kelvin Sampson, understandably, just didn't ask him to do a whole lot on that end of the floor, considering what Houston had from a guard standpoint. But Walker's got this nice little floater, kind of teardrop game that he was uh, on display with last night. Uh, So nice night for Jarris Walker, I would say, outside of probably him and Wong. There weren't a whole lot of positives for the Pacers as they lose their first Summer League game. They will play again on Friday. Um, that is a 7 o'clock tip against the Mavs. We'll have one more game over the weekend, and then they will um, close the book on their Vegas Summer League.
3: Is there any concern from you about... It's Summer League, so that probably answers the question. But is there any concern at all about Ben Shepherd's inconsistency shooting the basketball so far? Or what looks to be... You know he's had he had a really good game in game two. Games one and three looks like it's it's he's not really gotten on track. Does that bother you at all?
2: Yeah, I mean obviously you would like to see the reverse of it, but I would say the thing that has stood out to me more about Ben Shepherd is, and again I made this mistake when they drafted him, of you know when you see the amount of points he put up at Belmont, you just strictly think like shooter score, and you watch him, and even if you watch him last night, there were several moments in the game last night where just based off switches. He was guarding Chet Holmgren, and he hung in there. I thought pretty nicely on a couple of those plays. Like Ben Shepard is a little bit more of a basketball player than just a shooter. and I know,
3: and that' what's interesting. Like when he was drafted, that was the thought. Right? Was oh, they went out and they finally got themselves a wing shooter. Oh,
2: that was like a Buddy Heel type of replacement right. And down then, the road. and then it's like no, no, no. He
3: he's probably better as a defender. Like, really? Okay.
2: Yeah, so I, I don't know exactly where he necessarily fits into the rotation this season. And I think that's a conversation to get into a little bit later today, Jake. Like, I know he brings a whole lot, and you would certainly lose him. But like, where does T.J. McConnell fit into all this? Uh,
3: from something I read yesterday, perhaps
2: in the Western Conference. What's Andrew Nemhard's best position moving forward? I guess maybe that's the first question they ask. Because what did the Pacers just do in Summer League? They wanted Andrew Nemhard to run the show. Okay, well, let's look at the big roster. How does he run the show with the big roster? Halliburton is obviously your starting point guard. Then doesn't that mean that Nemhard would be your second unit point guard? Because that's what he did at Gonzaga, especially in that final season. He was a point guard for that group. So when you start to kind of map out a lineup, and I know that we've done this before, but I think it's an exercise worth doing again. I mean, if you start to try and, okay, these are the starters, these are the backups, if you remove McConnell and put Nemhard as the starting point guard at that second unit, I still don't have room for guys like Jordan Wara and Ben Shepard. And again, that is with taking McConnell out of the picture. And I don't know what you would move him for. And again, you would lose something. He, he is a, and there are, Jake, you, you see it firsthand. There are a handful of nights a year where TJ McConnell's second unit energy single-handedly changes the course of a game. So no, you doubt. would lose something. But you also have to acknowledge he is TJ McConnell. He's about to you know, he's gonna turn thirty two years old in the next year. He's just got a partial guarantee for not this coming season, but the season after that. If you could get something of value and it means you're putting Andrew Nemhard in the position that you think Nemhard is best suited for moving forward, you certainly listen to those calls.
3: I understand one thousand percent I understand the exactly that. The area that we don't know, the question that we don't know the answer to about T.J. McConnell's future would be this, and that is, of all the players on the roster for the Pacers, and I'm including Buddy Heald in this, the off-court contribution and the value that it has for T.J. McConnell in the eyes of the front office is higher than any other player. So in other words, if you were to score a guy's contribution as a rebounder, he's a two, as a scorer, he's a four, as a, in terms of whatever TJ McConnell is not giving you on the floor when he's on the floor all the time, and he does give you good stuff when he's on the floor, in the locker room leadership morale category, which there's something to be said for that, even if it is scored at 70% the significance of on-court contribution, he has the highest score in that area by a long shot in the eyes of that front office. And I think that they carry with that extreme weight of value to the franchise above and beyond what you see in box scores. I know it's a cliche. That said, Kevin, if there is a package or a player that you could get in return for him that scores in those on-court areas at a higher totality than the score that he gives you, then you have to look at it. But I would be surprised. I think T.J. McConnell is a guy, even if he goes elsewhere, to give you an idea of what he means to this franchise, I believe that T.J. McConnell is somebody that will be working for the Pacers 10 years from now in the front office.
2: You know, the son of a coach, he clearly... Um, this would be something that I think he's going to do for a long, long time. Like, you know, David Thornton's
3: basketball. role for the Colts? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, director of
3: player development. That's going to, I would almost guarantee you, that's going to be TJ McConnell's job at some point. So, place,
2: not place. necessarily coaching, but a little bit more in that realm? Or or coaching, I guess. But yeah, I mean, or maybe
3: like a Ronald Noren type position. But I'm just, he is, you if you watch closely on the bench, things like that, I mean, he is absolutely a centerpiece for them. And, and, and we'll get into it on the other side here in a little bit, but there is one team apparently where his name has been floated, and we can look at what that team might potentially be looking to part with and whether or not that helps Indiana.
2: You know, if you look at it, again, it's a rough sketch and it's still July 13th, but let's say you're starting one, two, and three positions are Halliburton, Bruce Brown, and Benedict Matherin. You take McConnell out of the equation, your second unit would still be Andrew Nemhard, Buddy Heald, and Aaron Nismith. I mean, to me, that is a fine one, two, and three in your second unit. I would argue that's one of the better reserve groups in the backcourt you would have. And again, I, I still don't have room for Ben Shepard. I still don't have room for Jordan Wara when you do that sort of exercise. So it's just a logjam. And it's, it's a great problem to have. but Yeah, Jordan War is a curious one, Kevin, because you know, he played
3: well last year at the end of the year. When, when they acquired him, he was almost like found money, right? And then you look at it and you go, okay, so is that does that mean that he is a guy that gives you scoring that you've got to take a look at? Or is he a guy that it's the end of the year and so therefore somebody's got to be, you know what I mean?
2: You brought up Ronald Norad. Did you notice who the Thunder's coach was last night? The head coach? Head coach for the Thunder. Uh, head coach for their G League and their Summer League. I'll go with Shelvin Mack. Ooh, close. You want to take another Butler stab?
3: Um, Boy. Was this a guy that played in the league at all?
2: Uh, I think very briefly, but mainly a G Leaguer for the Thunder. I started a Butler for a couple seasons.
3: Oh, uh, who was the guy? Um, who was the dude that was a transfer from Arkansas?
2: Rotney Clark? Yeah, it wasn't him. Right? No, n- not him. Uh, Cameron Woods. Do you remember Cameron Woods at I all? I do remember Cameron Woods. It's kind of a Tall, blast lanky and fast. guy, 6'9 yeah. center. Cameron with a K, right? Cameron with a K. Yep. Um, he is the Thunder G League coach and uh, obviously is coaching their summer league as well. And boy, they ran a couple of great plays late as they put that game on ice. So There was uh, a pro
3: am a couple of days ago here in town that uh, Flory Bedunga from Kokomo was a part of. Jeff Teague was in it, and I believe Keelan Martin was there as well.
2: I feel like Flory Badunga plays basketball every day of the year. Yep. When he's not playing soccer for the team, right? And you mean like high school team? Correct. I hear,
3: by the way, uh, everybody said Cincinnati, Purdue for Flory Badunga, I, Badunga, Badunga. I heard that Indiana's really gaining traction. Really? Yep.
2: Well, that's great news. I'm not saying he's going to go there. Duke has he's made a visit, but. I feel like I've heard 19 teams with him. All, oh yeah it's cincinnati oh yeah it's I've, Michigan. Al- I've also oh, yeah, heard it's and
3: i would gladly say who told me this but i don't know if they want me to I, I don't know but somebody who's like a recruiting analyst said uh wonderful player still has a lot of offensive development to do or no um yeah a lot of offensive development to do but really good defender not a one not a one and done probably a two-year college guy i'll um, just look worse.
2: at who the nba drafts they draft on potential and if you're athletic and I think, skill, I think his athleticism I think
3: athleticism still is the area that he needs to develop, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think Duke offered a few weeks ago, and I remember I think the IU folk was a little bit worried about seeing that offer. But uh, we'll see if Flori Bedunga makes a decision here leading into his final season at Kokomo. Did you guys see the MLB All-Star Game TV rating numbers? Not great. That'd be a compliment, Mark. Uh, lowest in history 1.7 million oh no no, oh, no no seven seven million I mean, that's that's still
3: pretty good well i mean i mean
2: what's I, your what's your competition yeah i'm
3: speaking in that's true
2: i'm this speaking a, in <laughs> racing event terms seven million um that is down five hundred thousand from the previous year which was a 10 percent decline from the year prior to that if you're looking for a bit of good news it did sound like they were up from a younger demographic standpoint. Um, it is still the most watched All-Star event of all the major sports. The uh, All-Star game, or the Pro Bowl, I should say. What, is, the the, what is a
3: typical, is, I don't even know, what does a typical Thursday Night Football
2: game do? $6.28 million was the Pro Bowl. Uh, the All-Star game, uh, again, a little over $7 million. Not sure that, they mentioned that game, they, they compared it to another summer event, Game 5 of the NBA Finals, for example. Was thirteen million? Really?
1: Okay. The average uh, Thursday night football game is a well, it's a four week a four week average. That's all I can see. Cable,
3: granted, right?
1: Well, Amazon Prime, yeah, Amazon uh, was eleven point two six million. God, that's way higher than I would have guessed. Does that include streamers? I mean, yeah, that's what it says says aired th- that aired on a- Prime Video and NFL Network. I'm telling you, man, the NFL is an eight thousand pound gorilla.
2: Uh, MLB All Star Game viewership has now hit a low in five of the past seven years that the game has been played, and even the Home Run Derby, which I, I think the Home Run Derby, it makes a little sense why that was low. It was the lowest it's been in five years. You think about the big market guys. I mean, what Pete Alonso bowed out in round one. Kevin, I'm gonna and Jake, you would know this, but correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe Toronto gets factored into viewing, and the winner was from Toronto, right? right. So, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is not helping you out here. Here's the other role. thing.
3: I want to make very clear this does not bother me, so I'm not saying it as an indictment at all, but I think it's a reality. I think also the numbers dip a little bit when not not the majority per se, but, but a significant number of the participants involved do not speak English as their primary language, and they're having to use interpreters for the on-field interviews. And I saw a lot of – during the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game both – there seemed to be a ton of that. Yeah,
2: the market kind of awkward is, watching.
3: Is is difficult. You know um, what I mean?
2: Yeah, I mean ESPN led in with an interview between Rosarena and Garcia, and it was all in Spanish. And the ESPN reported a great job of asking the questions and translating it, but it, it was just it was tough to follow. Correct. Correct. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you think about Major League Baseball and the markability of their stars, that's why the De La Cruz thing. It was like, man, as a Reds fan, I respect the hell out of him declining the invite. But boy, Major League Baseball would need him in that. It also, and he's a guy from a. There is certainly a language barrier there as well.
1: And I also think, miss. I mean, Shohei Otani got one at bat. Mike Trout didn't play. So two of your biggest stars that play on the West Coast that people don't normally see. You still didn't really get to see him.
2: I, I, but that's the all-star game now. It's not like guys are staying in no, there for longer than that. No, 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 but, I, but still, I'm for guys
1: mad. that are like, oh, I can finally see Mike Trout or... Another factor
3: I do truly believe that we talked about yesterday, so not to beat the dead horse and not to state the obvious, and guys, maybe I'm just the old guy yelling at clouds. I don't know, but when you turn it on and it's just a bunch of guys in blue against a bunch of guys in gray, you're like, uh, okay, who, who am I watching here? What 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 player is this? What team is that? You know, They were I mean, pretty...
1: Bland colors to it. Nothing
2: popped. It was totally like like, it just was like looked like Seattle Kraken uniforms.
3: Yeah, I mean it. It literally was like watering it down to the simplest form, and it just was like, what? What are we doing here?
2: And like not to continue down this TV rating path, but I guess the final thing I'll say on it. And Jake, you know this more than any of us. When you are a standalone event on a Tuesday night in July, yeah, I mean that's you should be shattering everybody. Correct, that's correct. I mean you should be fifteen million. I, I do know?
3: think that it's harder in July though, because to but be it's fair, it's an eight
2: PM first pitch. Who the hell is? I mean, by nine PM you're inside for the night. Yeah, I, I don't know
3: that I, I. Kids with travel soccer, baseball. I realize it, it's a week night. That's different. I mean, shouldn't
2: but I, the travel baseball team be obsessed with watching this? Isn't
3: okay. that the goal? Travel soccer, yeah, sure, but I'm telling you, that is the goal. You're right, but I do think that like the the practices and and games and outdoor stuff in the summertime in July goes beyond. I mean, I know people who like their kids. They're like, this is ridiculous. My kids have a soccer practice at 9:30 at night. I I do think that there's in the summertime that that factors in a little bit. Part of it is, especially like in I know when I was a kid living here. Like I wanted to stay out playing capture the flag or whatever as late as we possibly could because we knew we only had like a three month window to get it in. Yeah, you know, you're just uh,
2: outside. We'll talk some Pat Fitzgerald with Mike DeCorsi coming up at eight o'clock and a little bit of a uh, college sports preview as we are about a month away from you know, college football really ramping up. I guess a little bit over a month. Scott Long again. He's got an event coming up. Uh, he's going to join us at 8.30. And Jeremiah Johnson at 9 o'clock. His thoughts on that T.J. McConnell conversation. And I think, J.J., and maybe we'll play some of that audio here in a bit, the Paul George, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, I guess, Halliburton appearing on Paul George's podcast. Uh, I thought some really interesting comments from that. We'll talk with J.J. about that in the 9 o'clock hour. Again, good Thursday morning to you. Kevin Aquarius right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
4: The Morning Checkdown. Omaha, Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The
2: Fan. All right, last night in the Summer League, the Pacers really got handled by the Thunder. Uh, Pacers threw out kind of their C-League Summer League roster with Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhart, Isaiah Jackson all out. The Thunder played their big guys, including Chet Holmgren, who had 25 points and 9 rebounds in that one. Uh, final score, 99 99- 87 For the Pacers, Isaiah Wong had 17. Uh, Jairus Walker was 8 of 19 from the floor, 20 points and 11 rebounds from him. Uh, the Pacers will have two more Summer League games left in Vegas.
3: Speaking of Wong, by the way, he talked about the fact that this is a team in the Summer League that was used to playing in the first two games, of course, with a couple of guys that they're going to be seeing a lot in the NBA regular season, notably Benedict Matherin, clearly coming to mind. Uh, Wong talking about the fact that some of the bigger names that they got used to playing in the first two games were not there in game number three.
2: Just trying to play my heart, you know, play my game. Coach told me just play my game and just try to get the other players involved, you know. I was trying to do that at the same time and just trying to, like, lead us to, to a W. But we came up short today, and I feel like that's a just a learning process for for me and hopefully the team, too. Did you see um, LeBron James was tuned into the Fever game yesterday?
3: LeBron James also announced that he's not retiring, right? LeBron James. Who could
1: have seen that coming?
2: Yesterday, after Aaliyah Boston hits a three to force overtime, he gives out a little Mike Breen bang-bang tweet and said, shout out to the big comeback by the Fever. Unfortunately, they cannot complete the comeback in overtime, but Aaliyah Boston, again, hit that three to send it into OT, but the Fever lose Yet another one. I think it's eight in a row, if I'm not mistaken, for the Fever. It might be nine. Uh, so they now head into the All Star break on quite the losing streak. And that is one step closer to. Is it Caitlin Clark or Angel Reese? Which one is the favorite to go number one? I, I'd assume it's Caitlin Clark. I would think Caitlin I don't Clark, know. right? And her ability to score
3: from anywhere.
2: Uh, Grace Berger did have a really nice game yesterday for the Fever. Her playing time has not been very consistent at all here early in her rookie season, but she had a nice afternoon game yesterday. For the Fever. Uh, last night, in you had mentioned the kind of C-team
3: for the Pacers Summer League. Same, true for the U.S. men's national team in terms of soccer. In the Gold Cup semifinals, losers to Panama last night in penalty kicks. They lose... It was a 1-1 tie before going into penalty kicks. Actually, after the penalty kicks, first round of five of them, that also was tied. Then the United States had their penalty kick blocked, if you will, and Panama scoring. So, Panama advancing. I'm not even certain who they play in the finals. Is it Mexico? Uh, Mexico roll, yeah.
2: Jamaica, I believe. They're in the other semifinal. Speaking to Jamaica, uh, Jamaican
3: patties? Anybody in? I can't go today. Next week, anybody? Patties sure. in Jamaica? Oh, yeah.
2: I, I, I'm always a fan. You've there. been, right? Oh, yeah. Tyler Keever and I used to go several times in high school. <laughs> it's the best.
3: My buddy Adam Abdul texted me yesterday. Patty soon? Hell yeah. That's the kind of text I like.
2: Speaking of the U.S., did you guys watch any of Chris Eubanks yesterday in the Wimbledon quarterfinal i thought there for a moment he's going to get it done
3: i think a lot of people thought he was going to get it done um saw a very little of it i know Stephen holder had sent out a tweet that he was following it as well i just the fact that people were discussing it and and starting to turn an eye towards it is a good thing yeah right?
2: so he loses the first set to Daniil medvedev wins sets two and three they go into a tiebreaker for set four and eubanks has been tremendous in tiebreakers Throughout this Wimbledon run, he loses that though, and it almost kind of felt like that's your moment. You know, I think not to act like Daniil Medvedev is Djokovic, but I think so many times when you're playing, when you're the underdog in tennis, and you're playing the big dog. When you have, you're probably going to get one moment of match, and if you don't take advantage of that, boom, that all of a sudden is the momentum and the and the door cracking open. So for the opponent, so Chris Eubanks loses in five sets. So another major. Without an American winner, hell. Without an American, I guess, in a semifinal.
3: Medvedev uh, advances to the semifinal. By the way, to take on the number one in the world, Carlos Alcaraz, as he. Right, Djokovic tries on the to get other in, side.
2: Yeah, to the of finals. that brass.
3: Speaking of the other side, we mentioned T.J. McConnell. There apparently is a team in the Western Conference. That might have an interest in the Pacer point guard, but what would they have that the Pacers might be interested in? We can take a look at that. Mike DeCoursey joins us in 22 minutes as well. Kevin and Query here on Good Looking Start to a Thursday, 93.5, 107.5. 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. That means 17 minutes before Mike DeCourcy joins us, but there's plenty of basketball to talk about on the professional side of things on a Thursday morning to you. Good morning. TJ McConnell, who we had discussed, that's a player that certainly on your bingo card in mid-July, if you were talking about Pacer players that we might be discussing, TJ McConnell was probably not one you thought would be in the mix. But this is what happens in July when you start getting words of teams that might be looking around to trade or upgrade. The Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns apparently are exploring possibilities or taking on offers for, I guess you'd say journeyman Cameron Payne, who has been a nice player for them, probably on par a little bit, maybe more in the scoring department for Phoenix than what TJ McConnell was bringing to Indiana or has brought, I should say, to Indiana. Um, According to one report from Yahoo, McConnell could be part of a three-team deal With, I would assume that means pain coming to Indiana. The way that I look at this, Kevin, as I had mentioned, you know, Cameron Payne averages 10 points, basically four and a half assists per game. Played in, you know, he started a third of the games he appeared, appeared in 48 games, started 15 of them, plays 20 minutes a game or so. Statistically speaking, you could look at a guy like that and say, okay, He brings on a one to ten scale, we are scoring him as a six on what he brings on the court. TJ McConnell might only on the court score as a four, but what TJ McConnell brings in terms of a glue centerpiece guy, I just think guys like that are rare. And I think they're hard to find. And you don't there have been pacer teams that have not had that guy on their roster at all. There have been Pacer periods where they didn't have that guy on the roster. And when you find a guy like that, and I know that the cliche is, you know, a coach on the floor, but just a guy that knows how to unify guys, a guy that with each player... You know, Pacers Brass told me a couple of years ago, part of the reason TJ McConnell was acquired was because they had drafted Aaron Holiday. And they really thought that Aaron Holiday was going to be a player that they could groom into, you know, a a two-way, a guy that could play point or play shooting guard for you in spurts, even though he's undersized. And they, they brought in McConnell almost entirely and exclusively to mold Aaron Holiday. He was like a $1.6 million last-minute sign as a free agent out of Philly. And... I remember being told, watch Aaron Holiday when he comes off the floor. T.J. McConnell's the first guy to run out there, and he's in his ear, and he's telling him this, telling him that. And then they were like, but Holiday plays better when McConnell's on the floor with him. He's more confident when, when McConnell's like that's a security blanket for him. And then Holiday started making plays, or excuse me, McConnell started making plays where they're like, well, we've got to have him in over Holiday. And it's kind of never gone away, Kevin. He has just been a guy that not only is in the ear of his teammates and knowing exactly what – he's like Ted Lasso. He knows what button to push to this guy, what button to massage for this guy, what to say to this guy with kind of the entire roster. And then when he's on the floor, he doesn't hurt you when he's on the floor. I think there's a huge value in that.
2: Yeah, obviously there's tremendous value in TJ McConnell. He's had a great run here. I think the question becomes, what would you be getting back from Phoenix? I'm not like the biggest, oh, let's see if you can resurrect the career of Cameron Payne. I- I'd prefer draft right. picks. Um, It feels like Phoenix probably has none left at this point, but I-, I don't know exactly what their draft pick makeup would look like. But I think the question you also have to ask yourself is, yes, certainly it's T.J. McConnell's value, but I'll go back to something I said earlier, Jake, and it's the role that the Pacers obviously tried with Andrew Nemhard in Summer League is, do you think Nemhard is a point guard? And the answer is probably Nemhard can do a lot of things. But if you do feel like he's got point guard ability, then you want him running that second unit, unquestionably. And it gets into such a number situation with the Pacers. And let's say, let's say you keep McConnell. Let's say you keep Halliburton. So those are your two point guards. Obviously, you have Miles Turner as your center. Let's just throw out Isaiah Jackson as your backup. So there's your point guard situation, Halliburton and TJ McConnell. Your center situation, Turner and Jackson. That means that the two, three, and the four, these are all the names that you would like to find playing time for. Benedict Matherin, Buddy Heald, Bruce Brown, Andrew Nemhard, Aaron Neesmith, Jerris Walker, Obi Toppin, Jordan Wara, Ben Shepard. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine names for six spots. If you're going to make a full starting five, second right. unit five. That's that's okay, crowded. Give me the names again. Buddy Heald, Benedict Matherin, Bruce Brown, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nemhard, Jairus Walker, Obi Toppin, Jordan Wara, Ben Shepard. The, here's the thing about that. And those would be the two, three, and the four positions if you're trying to kind of map out where those nine names would potentially try and fit. Of that list, just my opinion,
3: Jordan Wara, who I like, is the only player on that list that that brings something to the table that you can find. Let me rephrase that. Jordan Wara is the only on that list that doesn't have something that no one else brings. Ben Shepard is an outside shooter and defender with youth. Obi Toppin has an athleticism and a pick and roll ability. Um, you know, Aaron Niesmith can guard in the wing and play multiple positions. Buddy Heald can score lightning in a bucket shots. Benedict Matherin can play in multiple positions, guard in the wing. In other words, what is the what is the selling point of Jordan Wara?
2: I think great shooter. And he is that and, and six, I like it. And that's a little different than obviously Buddy Heald from a shooting standpoint. And again, I, I just, I look at that grouping and think, can you alleviate some of the puzzle confusion with that? And is one of the ways to do that saying, all right, TJ McConnell, thank you. You bring a lot of value. We've loved your time here, but we feel like it's time to move in a different direction now that you're about to turn 32 years old. And we're going to put Andrew Nemhard in that second unit point guard role, which that that's a big question the Pacers have to answer. Because if that's the case, then you have to give Nemhard minutes. Then by doing that, you would remove Nemhard from the group that I just mentioned, and it would again allow for a little bit of an easier okay minutes here, minutes there, that sort of situation. Wouldn't totally, but it would do that. Um, it just seems like if you look at the Pacers' roster right now, there still is kind of one ancillary move that will be made. And maybe it's McConnell. Maybe it's one of the centers. I mean, when you look at their roster, do you remember they've got a ton of centers right now behind Turner and Isaiah Jackson, Daniel Tice, and I, I guess if you label Jalen Smith as the center.
3: Do you remember a year ago, not a year ago, a couple of months ago, last season when the Pacers... I can't remember if it was waived or what the reason was, but they I think it was in the War Trade when James Johnson was released.
2: Yeah, for like that 48-hour
3: period. And like two days later, he was immediately back, right? And, you know, James Johnson, a guy that was 36 years old, played in 18 games and gave you two points a game on the average, right? And you're like, and they're bringing him back? It's because he brought an adult-like presence and gel to the group that Kevin Pritchard saw the value in and understood the value in and Rick Carlisle understood the value in. Now, I think everybody knew that once the year was over with, that he, that, that was probably going to be it. He wasn't going to get another contract. But T.J. McConnell, to me, replace is, is the replacement of that. I know that I'm I'm overstating this, and maybe the guy gets traded today, and then I look like an idiot. But I do think that T.J. McConnell, in Is terms George of Is George Hill his, that? George Hill could be that, yes, uh, admittedly. But Hill, again—
2: I know you're not saying this, Jake, but I also think T.J. McConnell offers more on the floor right now than either Hill uh, or, un- or
3: Unquestionably, unquestionably. But I'm just saying, I do think that they— I don't know much— about a whole lot but i do know that the pacers front office has a much higher opinion of tj mcconnell for reasons that people who buy a ticket to go to Gamebridge Fieldhouse probably never see i'll put it that way
2: mark on the hard, hard knocks meter how excited are you about the jets
1: uh i mean i'll watch it but it was it was the most drawn out Situation for the most like, obvious like, answer like, ever, like Aaron Rodgers saying he was going to go to the Jets in the first place. Oh, we knew this for three months, but you know it took forever to get to that point. Now we've got it's like okay, all right, let's get the cameras rolling. Let's let's start doing stuff. Yeah, now,
2: as so. soon as I asked you that question, I thought you know what you're you're too biased to answer that
1: accurately because you hate Aaron Rodgers. I don't like him. <laughs> Not a fan. No, but I, it's fine. I The Jets are an intriguing storyline sure. for sure, but I just think you know they were down to four teams for what seems like forever and they there's been plenty of accounts that said this is the longest it's taking for a hard time pretty quickly right don't a they week start, from to, a week from say, yesterday do you think it's possible though earlier. that
3: people do you remember that year i think it was when tebow's with the jets and the and sports center literally was like jets camp 15 minutes i mean it was weird it was like yeah. they were do you think that it's possible that this Sal
2: of jets camp now
3: yeah and i and i get the fact that that Hard knocks is I I I get it right. I mean people are going to watch Hard knocks because of what it is. But is there the chance that this will have some sort of a minor backlash because people have an Aaron Rodgers total fatigue?
2: Oh, I think in general people have Rodgers fatigue slash New York market fatigue. Yeah, yeah. I mean the guy's exhausting. He's a
3: wonderful player. He's fun to watch on the field. And I'm not saying he, but it is weird. Aaron Rodgers, you know. I I don't know the guy. But reportedly like he's he still he doesn't talk to his parents. He's been like hasn't he been engaged like three times? And they never, and he never follows through, and he's—he just seems like an odd dude, man. He seems like a—I don't think there's any—I don't think it's unfair to say he seems like an Aaron Rodgers guy. That's all about Aaron Rodgers. But after a while, it's just exhausting.
1: He's one of those guys that claims he doesn't like the spotlight, but he loves it. Correct. And so the fact that the camera's going to be on him, like he's—oh, this is a pain in the ass. But he's going to be like, I love every second of it. Right.
2: You know, when you look at the AFC and you look at teams that could kind of break through, we talked about this when Rodgers joined the Jets. I mean, they were 7-3 and at the start of December last year and just totally bottomed out. So if you go off that, I mean, if they just get competent quarterback play. And again, we're talking about a dude that was back-to-back MVP. But who knows
3: what drama he brings.
2: Just two or three years ago. That's certainly a fair question. Um, you look at the AFC, though, and you talk about teams that missed the playoffs last year that could get in. I mean... The Jets would be in that boat. I mean, the Patriots were in the playoffs just a couple years ago with Mac Jones. You know, do you see Kenny Pickett and the Steelers in year two? What, what, what does Deshaun Watson look like in year two? Uh, again, when I look at this conference, I just can't recall ever seeing it with this much depth to it. Uh, they might not have a, a true competitor to a Kansas City and a Buffalo up top, but. You can look at teams like 10, 11, 12 and think, gosh, those are like good football teams. Uh, and that's what makes, I think, the difficulty of the conference so much and why the AFC South is a beautiful thing because I don't think anybody labels the AFC South like those other divisions in the conference. Um, basketball season upon
3: us. College football, of course, as well, and that includes big news at Northwestern. That and probably a little bit of soccer talk uh, soccer talk sprinkled in as well with Mike DiCorsi, who joins us next. It's Kevin Aquari. Eight o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. Just a reminder, by the way, this morning, if you are out and about in downtown, it is the 34th annual American Dairy Association of Indiana Ice Cream Social. I'll be out there scooping some Sundays from 1230 until 1, but no matter what time, you're going to be down during the lunch hour in particular on The Circle. Would love to see you and get you squared away with a nice little uh, dessert. During the lunch hour. Joining us now, he is never the dessert. He is always the main entree whenever he joins the program. Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News on the Payless Liquors Hotline also does work with the Big Ten Network. So, Mike, I'll begin with the Big Ten topic of the week. And that is the situation at Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald. Um, is this going to be a law? You know, it's interesting to me because it's a private university. So, like, it. it I applaud Northwestern for acting swiftly, but is this going to be like a long, drawn-out, court case, Bob Huggins-type situation of Fitzgerald and Northwestern?
0: I suspect not. Uh, I, that's not to say that uh, Fitzgerald will not look to uh, to get some settlement. Uh, it's, it's very rare that coaches will walk away from a terminated contract Uh, without trying to get some compensation in in a circumstance like this. But I don't expect that it would be as public as what Huggins has allowed his circumstance to become, which, remember, they aren't the same. Uh, Huggins, Huggins developed from his own conduct on multiple occasions, one in May when he was on the radio in Cincinnati and used a slur, uh, and, then, uh, and then the uh, second one, the uh, DUI uh, arrest in Pittsburgh. So they're not the same as, as failing in some way to have a comp- uh, apparently, allegedly failing to have a complete command of your locker room and, it, and its culture. I mean, that's what, that's what sports are about, guys, in terms of winning, losing, et cetera, is building a successful culture. And, and that you know there can be things like this that happen inside a culture that ultimately leads to su- ultimately leads to success on the field. There can be. they can exist, but it's not a successful culture if they exist. You may win games but you are not you are not sustaining a successful culture. The best programs don't have this sort of stuff
3: going on. You Mike, know the Mike the thing to me uh, about it, do you, you know pat fitzgerald coming out and saying like hey i didn't know anything about this there appears to be overwhelming evidence that he in fact did know about it um and i asked this question to greg doyle and i'm not trying to harp on it but i am curious of it i from the university standpoint do you think that they would have taken this as seriously or acted as swiftly if If the investigation was coming from a media outlet other than the one that the university itself has developed in their own student newspaper, that is obviously one of the best in the country and one that they are the proudest of having one of the best in the country, understandably and rightly so.
0: Yeah, Jake, I think if the Chicago Tribune had – if the the people who were upset about this had gone to the Tribune or the Sun-Times – uh, and one of those two papers had written about this, I think the result would have been the same. It, it, the, I think that the dividing line here is, hey, I didn't know about this. It ha- if it happened once, yeah, that could happen. It's something like that could happen in your program, and you not know about it. Because part of the effort in creating a situation like that among uh, particular student-athletes would be to keep it, the coach from finding out uh, if, it was, if it were a one-time thing. But that's not what has been written about. It's, it's been a, a, a protracted, according to the journalism, the terrific journalism produced by the student journalists at Northwestern, it's been a protracted long-term circumstance that is that has existed in the Northwestern program. And if he did not know about that, if, he's, if he is accurate and did not know about that, then that's, that's where you say, well, you should have. Because this didn't just happen once. It didn't just happen isolated. I, I, I would not hold him personally. I, I mean, I'm not in charge, but personally, I would not hold him responsible for a one-time incident that happened among uh, his particular student athletes. But if if you're in a situation where it's gone on for a while, then then I didn't know isn't the defense.
2: Mike, you think better chance we see Pat Fitzgerald in the NFL or as a college head coach again?
0: Well, I, I think I, I think one of the things that's interesting about that is that he had had a lot of success at various points in his time at Northwestern. And so he would have had opportunities along the way to leave, and he chose to remain. It was his alma mater. He loved it there. He loved living there, all that stuff. Uh, and there's a lot to love about uh, that community. If, if you've ever been to Evanston, it's beautiful. The university's gorgeous, and it's obviously uh, a place that's very dear to him, so you could understand why one would not want to leave. But they hadn't been very successful the last couple of years, and so I don't know how much. Uh, it, 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 absent all of this, I don't know how much um, how much demand there would have been for him at the highest level, anyway. Uh, so I, I think when we when we see coaches like Chris Beard get hired again. One can never say never. Uh, it's just a question of whether or not somebody looks at Pat and thinks, that guy can make my football program better. If they do that, then they'll hire him. I mean, they hired, they hired Chris Beard. Uh, they hired Will Wade at McNeese State. So I would never say that what happened here would be disqualifying from Pat Fitzgerald getting another job. That's not to say I'm endorsing it. Uh, that, that, that decision making, um, I, I, wrote a column in the spring about my, uh, it, it, about grading various coaching hires. I never wrote a specific column about the decision to hire Chris Beard, but when I graded, uh, Ole Miss hiring Chris Beard, you can look at the grades and see uh, I was not in favor of that decision, so I'm not endorsing that necessarily. I'm just saying that I wouldn't be surprised if it were to occur.
3: I'll, I'll be honest, Mike. There's part of me... I don't know Pat Fitzgerald. We've had him on this program. I, I've, he was very nice. I, you know yeah. that, that, I, I don't know him, though. But there is part of me that thinks to myself, okay, second chances, sure. If he were to get hired somewhere as a defensive coordinator then that means that he is entering a situation where there is someone above him of accountability that oversees things and thus when it comes to the ultimate responsibility of young people it doesn't fall on him there is someone above him i could see that being more likely than than a head coach in terms of his immediacy of next job if it's at the college level does that make sense
0: yeah, I think it makes sense. I, I don't know that he would rush back in, in, to do that unless it were an elite program. Uh, it, if it were somewhere very near the top of the business, I, I think once one's been a head coach and has and has been successful on the field at that, I, I, I don't think that in most cases there's a, a great rush to return to a, a lesser job unless it becomes obvious that there's no other way to get back to that pinnacle. And as I said, what happened here, it doesn't make uh, Fitz a bad person. It just meant he uh, that if if this is all true, and, and again, where I think it's the fact that this has happened suggests that it is, um, I, I think it, it suggests that he didn't do a good enough job. He, he didn't, but one doesn't, you know, he wasn't someone, uh, it wasn't a list that he was participating in these things. But uh, so I, I think that I I do think that he can get back in uh, as a head coach depending on where he wants to move and to the level he wants to move. Remember, he wasn't the coach at Alabama uh, or Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan winning national championship or or contending for them. He was a coach at Northwestern who was doing extraordinarily well by Northwestern's
3: historical standards. Okay, but hypothetically, Mike, devil's advocate here, Northwestern this last year was... 9-3, 9-3, and three, and they are coming off a 10-win season, and then this happens. Does Pat yeah. Fitzgerald lose his job?
0: Yes, I think he would. Okay. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I think that, the, as I said, it's, because this was not presented as something that happened once, um, because this was presented as something that had happened over a period of time, yes, I do think he would have. I, I think the fact that, uh, you know, remember, they, they initially suspended him for two weeks without pay in the summer before the uh, Northwestern daily uh, story started to appear. I think it was late last week. Uh, When, when those when those happened, then the chemistry of this changed. Uh, So I, I do think that even if they had been great last year, they would have felt compelled just as West Virginia, after multiple circumstances, uh, felt compelled to remove a coach that they didn't want to. I mean, he was an alum. He had taken in the final four, made the hall of fame on their watch uh, and had gotten them back to NCAA tournament last year and had built a, a pretty promising roster for 22, 24. They didn't want to fire him, but he just didn't leave them or, excuse me. They didn't want him to leave. They didn't fire him, but they didn't want him to have to leave. Um, they just, it got to the point where it just couldn't continue. And I think that that's the point that was reached at Northwestern when when these articles appeared uh, last week.
2: Yeah, Mike DeCourcy's with us, Sporting News, Big Ten Network. You can follow him, TSN Mike, uh, on Twitter, uh, talking a little bit of everything from a college sports standpoint here with Mike. Shifting gears, I, I almost am kind of asking for an update and maybe a little bit of education here, Mike. Where are we at on transfer portal? Guidelines, uh, what if any are in place, and are we have we reached the end of like the COVID cycle? Because I know with you know that the extra year due to COVID, you know, it's free reign for everybody to kind of take advantage of that extra year. Where are we at, if any, on one-time transfers and things like that?
0: Yeah, I think first of all, uh, we 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 still have a lot of uh, one. I think we have we expected to have one more season of. Covid play, uh, co- players using the COVID year. Okay, uh, one one more season. There might be some stragglers out there because of an injury redshirt situation, but the the vast majority of them are expected to cycle out after this season or next. So it it, it is something that's impacted the college sports landscape in an underrated way. Uh, there there uh, there's a lot of talk about devaluing high school players. Uh, I read I read an article about. Uh, High school players not being that attractive to uh, to programs now because they can go and and in, instead uh, uh, go out and get guys in the transfer portal. And there was one quote from a coach uh, who said, "If you're the sixty, you're the 60th rated player in a class, you're in, you know you're basically hose now." And I'm thinking, wait a second, did I just not watch Purdue win dual Big Ten championships with one guy rated 198 and the other guy rated like 85th? Uh, who started there in the backcourt? I don't think it's that dire, uh, that we're at that position now, but it has been impacted by COVID, uh, and, and it has made a difference. I think the transfers will come down as the COVID, uh, circumstance clears itself up. Uh, it'll still be rampant for relative to, uh, 10, 15 years ago. But it, will, it won't be 1,800 players any longer. It'll probably be closer to 800 to 1,000 each year that will go looking uh, for new homes. I, I, there may be some changes in the dates, but they've, they've talked about it. Last season, uh, the open time for transfers uh, began... Uh, I think the day after Selection Sunday, whatever the Monday was, twelfth or thirteenth of March, whatever that Monday was, that's when you could say, "Okay, I'm ready to go." Of course, for p- active players in the tournament, that's not really feasible. If you're if you're if you just if you just got announced on the bracket on, you can't say on Monday, "I'm out of here," uh, and then expect to play on Thursday or Friday. That they're not going to let that happen. So those players have to wait a little bit until they're eliminated or win the championship to decide whether to take another step there may be some movement on that to move it till after the final four uh, or to late March. But I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a bit of a challenge for the athlete because it doesn't give you much time to find a new home. If you're, if you're not starting the process until basically April, I mean, that gives you only maybe a month to the end of your own semester at your, at the, at your current school to look around and decide whether you want to, to find a new home. I, I don't think that's, Enough time for men and women's basketball, uh, and so I, I, I think that that I think we're probably going to end up seeing them stick around that end of the regular season, uh, beginning of uh, postseason.
3: Mike DeCorsey is our guest. Of course, he is with Sporting News. He is on the Payless Records hotline, also with the Big Ten Network. Um, Mike, before I get to a soccer question for you, I did want to circle back to. Because uh, as I've always said, you are the authoritative dean of college basketball. And so with the Bob Huggins situation, I want to go back to that. For those that are unfamiliar, Bob Huggins, of course, had a situation, as you had mentioned, it, um, some inappropriate comments on a radio station. That cost him uh, a penalty in terms of pay. Then shortly thereafter, a DUI. And then he, sent a, a, he posted the following... Message from Bob Huggins to the WVU community, Mountaineer Nation. Today I have submitted a letter to President Gordon Gee, or G. am not sure what you pronounce it, and Vice President and Director of Athletics, Ren Baker, informing them of my resignation and intention to retire as head men's basketball coach at West Virginia University, effective immediately. End quote. He now says that wasn't actually a resignation. Where do we stand here?
0: Uh, I I don't think there's any question that West Virginia is not opening its door to, to, for Bob to return. They are, they are open to honoring him at a future point in some way, shape, or form, uh, but they are not open to him being employed there. Uh, he may be trying to get a settlement out of West Virginia in the way I discussed uh, earlier. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald may be trying to get, uh, at maybe at some point, trying to get some money out of Northwestern. Um, but I, 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 I had no doubt he will not be the coach at West Virginia next year uh, there won't be any way to compel him to do that it, it one, of the, one of one of the things that's interesting about this circumstance is that uh, that they, they, they could have if they wished fired him for cause under these circumstances they could have I mean I, I I, without reading his contract and all that I mean it, it wouldn't have been unusual let's say for a college in West Virginia's position to fire a coach for cause for a the, a coach who did what uh, what Bob Huggins is alleged by the Pittsburgh police to have done uh, so it wouldn't have been unusual so I, they wanted him to resign because they felt that it would look better uh, feel better uh, he was in he was an all he was a a great player there. He was one of the greatest coaches they've ever had, maybe the greatest. Uh, And they didn't want him to, uh, to, they didn't want to have to fire him. The resignation was the best outcome available under those circumstances for both parties. And I, I, you know, I've known Bob for a very long time. I covered him very closely uh, for four years as the beat writer, uh, for the Cincinnati Bearcats uh, when I was working at the Cincinnati Inquirer. So I've known him a long time, and I hate seeing this become uh, his legacy, so to speak, or, or, his, or the last chapter of his legacy. Uh, I don't know where the advice is coming from, from h- for him to do this or whether or not he's just doing it on his own, but he's, this is, there is no win available for him here even if he gets more money because he doesn't need more money. He's got plenty of it. So there's no win here. This is all a loss for Bob Huggins.
2: Mike, last one from me. From a Big Ten standpoint, and obviously things can you know, flip and pretty much snap your fingers, but we've seen a commissioner change here recently. Uh, do you think we'll get any sort of expansion from the Big Ten, whether it is a Pac-12 school, whether it's Notre Dame? Do, do you see any of that on the immediacy?
0: No. No, I mean, I, I never is a long time. But sure. what ha- has to be remembered here is that I don't know the exact dollar figure. There have been various reports, but let's set it at $70 million. It's somewhere in that ballpark, 65, 70. But let's say the number is 70. There isn't any school out there that isn't already a happy member of the SEC. <laughs> Or, a, or an entrenched, contractually obligated uh, school in the ACC until 2036 that would even come close to being worth $70 million to television networks to add them to the Big Ten. I like think North Carolina is the closest there might be in terms of their market, which is continuing to grow, and the, the popularity, which is pretty high. Uh, certainly in basketball football a little less so but they've done well in football as well Uh, there's no one that's in that neighborhood so what you're asking essentially theoretically would be asking wisconsin and indiana and iowa and and purdue to do is say well here's take a pay cut out of your 70 so that we can invite these schools in well why so we can be bigger what if it was
3: notre dame and stanford
0: notre dame is different Notre Dame, the door is always open. Right. But it's not open for Notre Dame to leave the the, the uh, ACC. They're under that same contractual obligation until 2036. Now, they may decide that they at some point that they would want to write that check to get out of it. But you guys have lived here for a long time. You followed the Irish. They are as committed to independence as any athletic program. I, I think they're more committed to independence than any program I've seen is committed to winning. They love being an independent. I've never been able to figure it out, I've never been able to find anybody who can explain it to me. But they. But it's what they want. Uh, and I know there's a negotiation out there now about what they're going to try to get out of uh, their next television partner, whether it remains NBC or someone else, and what the number is. They'll get close enough that they'll be happy. I don't know what, exactly where they'll land, but they'll get close enough to the number that's being reported that they'll be happy and content to remain independent. It's, it's what they believe that they need to be as as a football program. As I said, I don't understand it, but it's what it's what they're committed to. Uh, and so and, and, and I, I respect their commitment. I don't like I said, I don't understand it, but I respect it because they are so much in, on that side of the ledger.
2: And just to add one thing, their new athletic director after Jack Swarbrick is Pete Movacqua coming over from the as the president of NBC. So I, I would say it's a fair guess that they will continue to be on NBC <laughs> moving forward. Hey, Mike,
3: before we let you go, I know that you are also a soccer enthusiast. Um, I thought last night was fun. It, it was a great crowd. It was a good atmosphere in San Diego. Obviously, Panama defeating the United States Gold Cup semifinals. My understanding is, and I say this very peripherally as a soccer person, you know, as an observer of soccer, uh, disappointing, but not necessarily like a major blow to the U.S. soccer program or franchise. Correct?
0: Yeah, because what you saw, if you watched last night on FS1, was probably uh, USA two point five. It's probably not not USA one the best team that they have, the A team. This was probably B to B minus. Uh, it, it, it was a good team, but not an elite team by U.S. standards. The, there were very few of the uh, terrific European uh, players that are playing in Europe, Christian Pulisic, uh, Tyler Adams, players like that. There were, there were essentially none of those players on this team. Uh, this, was com- uh, this team was composed mostly of MLS-based players uh, who are there to provide depth to the team, uh, they, they they probably could have played better than they did last night. I think they were a little bit weary. Uh, that they, uh, they they just looked tired. I think maybe from going 120 minutes to beat Canada on Sunday, they just looked tired. They didn't have a lot of spark. It's not it's not important uh, in terms of what it means for the U.S. It'd been nice to win uh, to be able to say like they did in 2021. Hey, we beat the whole uh, region with our B team. Uh, as they did then. Uh, they, they couldn't this time. Uh, it's it's the, the fact that they won the Nations League, which included all those players that I mentioned before, that was much more important. And they won it easily. Uh, they dominated Mexico and defeated Canada pretty handle, handily. Uh, those were much more important wins. And as is the Women's World Cup that begins next weekend, uh, a much more important exercise for American soccer.
2: Yeah, Australia and New Zealand coming up for the Women's World Cup. Uh, Mike, I know things are going to really ramp up for you here over the next month or so, so enjoy the rest of the summer, and uh, we'll certainly be chatting with you here when college sports uh, pick up steam here in the fall. Thanks, fellas. Always a pleasure. Mike deCourcy right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, the women's team here from the, from the United States going for their third straight World Cup title. Uh, no country has ever achieved that. So that is the goal on the horizon for the U.S. women's national team.
3: Uh, Time, by the way, before our friend Scott Long joins us for a morning checkdown.
2: The
4: morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 Omaha. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
3: Last night, NBA Summer League, the Pacers, losers 98-87 to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Chet Holmgren with 25 in the game last night. Joris Walker had 24. Indiana, Ben Shepard shot just two of nine from the floor. Genero Pargo, that is now Game Three for the Blue and Gold in the Summer League. Your assessment of the third game?
5: Offensively, just not generating uh, good shots. Uh, I think we kind of got stuck in uh, playing a little bit too much one on one and uh, not moving the ball, finding the open man, finding the open man. And uh, defensively, just communication, uh, playing hard. Uh, I mean, in in in. In the defense of our players, they uh, we had a lot of guys who hadn't played in the last four days, uh, so they, fatigue was kind of a factor. Um, but through it all, I thought they battled. Uh, we didn't lay down, we didn't give up, and um, <clears throat> in the second half, I thought, I thought we played much better, uh, more physical. Uh, again, communication was a big factor defensively, and then just uh, playing faster, creating
3: uh, open shots uh, offensively. Summer league continues for them tomorrow night, taking on the Mavericks of Dallas.
2: Yesterday over at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, it was camp day for fans in the building. A lot of young kids, they saw Leah Boston hit a three to force overtime, but unfortunately that comeback, which was I think 18, maybe 20 points, was not fully completed. They lost to Liberty in overtime. So that's now eight straight losses for the Fever. Uh, If you're looking for positive news, I would say two things. One, uh, Grace Berger, the IU product, 15 points, 7 rebounds. Uh, did a little bit of everything and stuff on the stat sheet, which she typically does or typically did in college. Uh, has not played a whole lot here through the first 20 games of her professional career, uh, but did get some run yesterday. And the Aaliyah Boston 3 led to a tweet from LeBron James um, saying that, uh, what a comeback, and bang, bang, a, a Mike Breen reference there by Aaliyah Boston hitting that 3 to force overtime but five and 15 are the fever now as they hit the all-star break
3: I'm trying to think oh soccer we mentioned that right Panama last night one one was the tie after regulation then end the penalty kicks and Panama getting a penalty kick when the United States did not after the first round of penalty kicks I think it was three3. Panama advancing to the finals of the Gold Cup. They will now take on Mexico. Yeah,
2: The only other thing I was going to mention was, I know we talked about it late in yesterday's show, Chris Eubanks, the final American male in Wimbledon, loses a really entertaining five-set match yesterday to Daniil Medvedev, the number three overall seed. Uh, Eubanks was up two sets to one. Had a chance in the fourth set tiebreaker. Could not, though, complete the victory there. I know for men's tennis, Jake, doesn't Typically, matter a whole lot from a American standpoint, but I can't imagine over the last I don't know thirty years, maybe even longer. What do you think? Five majors total, where you haven't had a single American in the men's or women's semifinal or yeah beyond? I mean, especially you know, women usually of correct. course. It, what would you do with
3: if you won Wimbledon and got one of the, the big plate thing, the platter? What What would you do with it?
2: I'll probably eat some Wendy's off it. <laughs> Spread out the nuggets, get some ketchup on there.
3: Clemson wins the
2: national title. They get to
3: have Happy Meals. Same
2: deal, right? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, it is a big plate, right? Oh, yeah. Huge. I mean, think about, like, how many of those does Serena Williams have? Now, the British Open, which will be next week, you get the Claret Jug. So, you know, put some PBR in that. And oh, throw yeah. Them back and then bring out the platter, I mean, you could have yourself a hell of a deal, right? Saw this quote from Rory McIlroy, just completed uh, his first round at the Scottish Open, shot 64 uh, to lead after round one. I don't know if you saw those congressional hearings where there was some rumor of potentially the PJ Tour trying to offer Rory McIlroy to live golf. Uh, they asked about Liv's quickly rejected proposal for him to captain a team. Rory, and I quote, if live golf was the last place on earth to play golf, I would retire. That's how I feel about it. Wow, okay. Strong from Mr. McElroy on that front.
3: This live golf thing, man, it kind of just keeps hanging around. That story just keeps hanging around.
2: Yeah, no, I don't think we are anywhere near um, kind of I the meaty parts no of question. it just – Yet, All right, on the other side, Scott Long, our buddy. He's got an event coming up a week from Friday. We'll chat with him about that. And Jeremiah Johnson, pace for Summer League, three games in. How does the roster look as things have quieted down from a roster construction standpoint? We'll chat with that about JJ in about a half hour. Jake, you said you did or did not tune into the ESPYs last night? Did not.
3: I've never – I'll be honest. I saw the after-the-fact – DeMar Hamlin getting very emotional, which was certainly a touching moment. Um, and I know that they've changed it now a little bit, but I remember a couple of years ago when it's like, the SB4 best NBA team goes to the Miami Heat. And I'm like, well, yeah, they, they won the title. I I, I kind of knew that. You know what I mean? So I've, I've never been a big SB I've
2: guy. probably been a little bit more of an SB guy than most, and I will raise my hand here. I saw very little marketing of it i didn't even know mcafee was the host of it until like yesterday afternoon right is that just me not doing my job or is that like I... uh do you want to know my honest answer there and sure. i think
3: our next guest will will vouch for me on this because i think it's fascinating yeah i mean i was i was gonna ask Scott if he you are you are how old kevin
2: uh 33
3: you are two years away from officially having outgrown the demographic it's, it's funny to me the number of people are like, dude, SportsCenter is so lame, man. It was awesome when I was in college, and now it's just like so lame. And I'm like, really? Well, you're 40, and when you were in college, there were 40-year-olds that thought it was lame. And I realize now things have changed because of social media. I mean, there is some truth to the decline of SportsCenter because of the, the, the shift of just media in general. But a lot of the the frat boy nature of sports center you're starting to outgrow or, or ESPN in general
2: our next guest has got an event coming up here in a little over a week so we'll chat with him about that but let's begin there uh Scott Long did you check out any of Pat McAfee last night hosting the Espies?
6: I did not um I feel like this whole conversation is lame Maybe it's my age. I, I like that whole thing. Um, no, uh, I did not see it. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Pat. Actually, Pat, the first time he ever did stand up, uh, was at my celebrity stand up event, which I've done many years, and different, uh, celebs from this station have done it, including JMV, including, um, former uh, uh, host Dan Dockage, all kinds of different people have done it, including Mark Boyle, who was the best ever at it, in my opinion. So, uh, but Pat was great at it too. So no, I did not pay attention and I've actually written four award shows. So I guess I have a unique thought about it. Um, The worst job for comedians is to uh, perform for athletes. Athletes don't like being made fun of at all. They never got made fun of. In high school, they'd beat you up, the best athletes, <laughs> if you, you know, if you made fun of them. So it's a tough gig.
2: Scott, who's the funniest athlete coach that's been in this market since you've been, you know, doing this and interacting with, you know, athletes in this market?
6: I did this show for ISC Sports Network for a while called the uh, very creative title, Scott Long interview show. And um the best guy I uh did it with was uh past former butler basketball coach, not Thad Mata of course, but Laval Jordan. He when you get him on, you know, loosened up, he's awesome. Like, his personality is so good. So I was not shocked when I saw how good he d- I thought he did a great job for Fox this yeah, year. Yeah, he was a nice studio but, analyst, yeah. Yeah, he's got great personality, you know, and there's a little Tony Dungy to him because he's he seems like a very religious guy. You see that in his social media and stuff. But he's a loose dude. He's really fun. We talked about, like I had asked him um, you know, he's an older guy but he's got all the young guys in the in the locker room. I'm like, do you get into their music? He's like, Oh, that's rough. That's uh, rough. He's like I'm like, well what would you like to be here? And he's like like I play like Earth, Wind and Fire And I'm like, So well then we spent like two minutes talking about how great Earth, Wind and Fire is so you you just you don't know sometimes. Most coaches are not known for their great senses of humor and I always thought Pat McAfee, the key to him being so funny, where most athletes are not that funny, is he's a punter. A punter is the nerd of the football team. You know? <laughs> he's he's the guy that no one gives any respect to. You know, even the kickers are like, hey, my life. You know, I'm I'm winning or losing the game. I always thought the greatest scholarship in all of sports. If you want your kid to get one, is to become the punter uh, because the pressure is a lot less than every other position. So, um, athlete-wise, no, I don't think most athletes are funny. Some you'll hear a guy that guy's very funny. Yeah, for an athlete, okay, not not like real co- comedian. So obviously Peyton Manning's the exception to all rules on this,
3: but yeah, that's about it. By the way did, did you start out by saying you thought the conversation was lame did I, did I hear that correctly Yeah you had said you know when you're uh,
6: in your you know 40s you often will think that you know something that you might have thought was cool in your 20s is lame or vice versa you kind of age out of it so yeah that's why i was making a comment Now,
3: now would you would you agree though that in particular and again, this isn't like to, to, to knock on, on ESPN. I think they do a great job. But I don't know that ESPN's programming, aside from live sports, is targeted towards a 50-year-old male. Would you agree with
6: that? No, it's not. That's It's, it's like Saturday Night Live.
3: Yeah, that's a yeah, good one. That's, yeah.
6: that's the best example if of If you it. ask
3: people, Scott, the average person, like, what was the best era of SNL? They are going to tell you the era that happened to be when they were 17.
6: Or, yeah, like basically 15 to 25. Right. Because that's when you're watching it, when you're in college. Like, you probably think the best era was when uh, Adam Sandler and David Spade and, you know, Kevin or Chris Farley and everybody. That's probably your favorite Saturday of life because
3: of your age. I would go. And this kind of eschews, I guess, on our point. But I'd go even a little earlier than that for me. Like Eddie Murphy, Tim Kazarinski like that era.
6: Okay, Stop it, stop it, saying Anybody that second adds Tim Kazerinsky, Uh Kevin, you have no idea who Tim Kazarensky is, correct? No, I'm not, it sounds like a soccer player. Uh, not, Not even that level. I mean, maybe on the Gold Cup. He's the Gold Cup. <laughs> Of improv players, but uh, there must have been a character that really—I uh, mean, usually you'd go Piscopo next in part of that Evan Eddie Murphy thing. I mean, come on, Jake. Uh, I thought King the characters he did were
3: good. I thought the the Gandhi character he did was fabulous. He played—he <laughs> was always the foil, like he was always the nerdy character. Okay. I thought he was funny.
2: Okay, no, I, I like it. I like it. You're committed, Scott. You got an event coming up here a week from Friday. Is that correct, out Navon?
6: I do. Um, you're really good at uh, promoting I know that's not usually your thing You know, you go on certain morning shows And they're, you know, they've had 50 million comedians on there So, you know, they're kind of um, You know, there's a little bit of just like Ah, here's our guy to... you, you guys don't have comedians on, right? Much to we still haven't their stand-up gigs well, Probably not often So I appreciate that Yeah, it's in Avon um it's called the red curb comedy club it's you know i don't know how many it seats maybe 150 it's a really great room to do stand-up in you know you'll see a lot of like and this is easy for me if you ever see i'm uh headlining Gamebridge, uh you can remind me of this but that's no place to see comedy You do not want to go see comedy in a huge venue. Comedy is meant to be in a smaller room, tight, having a couple drinks. And uh, I'm kind of known at this point. Uh, I just pretty much do clean corporate comedy uh, because I've basically found a niche where there's not many people that can do it. But every once in a while, dad needs to say some more adult language in public. And a couple times a year, I like to do that locally. And uh, so I picked this, Doing it on the west side, but it's pretty close to a lot of parts of Indianapolis, and the club's great. And yet, comedy clubs, though, not a safe space. There was some news that happened, I guess, at the Helium Club. I don't know if you guys heard about that story, but... Um, Some girl that was, had, I don't know, yelled something out to the comedian. and The comedian, she just eviscerated her and said some things that she felt were upsetting. That's kind of what comedy's about, live comedy's about that. I mean, uh, I wouldn't do that, but you know, I got to defend comedians first. You know, there's nothing kind of scarier, Jake. You've been to a couple of my celebrity standup things where people get up and they've never done stand up before. And they think, oh my gosh, this is just uh, so frightening to do because there's no safety net. You're, you're basically a Nick Walendo walking across Niagara Falls. You've got nobody to catch you.
3: Yeah, I would think that when you go to a club, you've got to know that the the person with the microphone and the spotlight on them, is probably not necessarily, like they have the artillery, right? You know what I mean? Like great, you, you got to know that going in. Scott, I wanted to ask you about this. I've asked you about this before, but you've been public with it. I think it's important for people to hear. Um, your daughter has now graduated from Fishers High School, correct? Yeah. And she was part of, and I realize that probably it sounds like I'm asking about something that's been widely cast because you and I've talked about it publicly before, but I think there's always a chance to get new ears on the importance of it. Um, your daughter, ha- I believe, has autism, but yeah, she's on the autism spectrum. So she, you know, goes into high school and, and gets involved with the athletic program there and The way that the basketball program at Fishers embraced her and the way that her teammates made her part of the team, I just was so touched by it because, as I've talked about with Greg Raikstra before, I think it's so critically important for people to realize that every kid has a value to what they can bring to their peers and every kid can find value in what their peers are offering back to them. And I think it's important for parents to be able to instill that in their kids. And I think your daughter's been a really good example of that.
6: Um, Well, thank you for uh, this. That's my heart. You know, Um, I talk about it a lot when I go do my more corporate shows or conferences. You can get a hold of me at (laughs) scottcomedy.com. But yeah, Maddie is 19 now when she was diagnosed with autism 17 years ago, pretty much anybody only knew about Rain Man, right? That's what people knew, you know, two decades ago or three decades ago. That was about it. That was like the, and so like someone like uh, Kevin, when you went to school, you saw kids like my daughter probably at your school. Um, Jake and I really didn't. You know, they were put in the special ed room, in the back of the school most of the time. You don't bother them. They don't bother you. And the word inclusion can be controversial depending on where you're at. But the idea of inclusion with people with developmental disabilities, it's not just great for people like my daughter, I just quickly will tell you a story that's really like put it into words. She's in the Best Buddies program. That's a program where there's a typically developing kid and someone like my daughter, and they become friends. They meet with each other maybe once or twice a month. She said, when Maddie was about 13, hey, I'd like to go bowling with your daughter sometime. And my wife, Maddie wasn't talking much. She was not very social. People were not banging down the doors to hang out with her. And we thought, well, that's nice, but you don't have to do that. And she's like, no, I really want to do that. Maddie's my best friend. And we're like, what? Uh, Because, I mean, look, I'm, I'm realistic about this stuff. Maddie needs someone to give to her a lot more than she can give back and she explained though this girl is like you see no one like ever pays any attention to me but when I see your daughter she lights up she wants to give me a hug she's I'm absolutely the number one person in the world and she was right Maddie loved that girl and in the schools where someone might not feel like they're connected for one reason or the other Somehow, my daughter, who wasn't very verbal and had her own issues, made such an impact on her. And that was like when it was a light bulb moment. I'm like, you know what? My daughter brings a lot more to the world than sometimes even I want to give her credit for so um, th- that's why these programs like best buddies unified sports i think is the best program there is in the schools it's like special olympics meets best buddies and it's sports is such a vital part of kids lives i i just totally believe it and the number one thing my daughter loves is sports she t- talks about sports all the time
2: I think Best Buddies, by the way, Scott, my, my sister in law is pretty involved with it. It's such an awesome program. My mom taught special it ed for 30 years. So, you know, fortunately growing up, you know, I, I was yeah. you know, pretty exposed to it and, and grateful That's great. for that. And, and honestly, when you were sharing those stories on air this winter and just in general reading about it in the paper, I found myself right. literally looking for the Fisher score night in, night out, thinking, boy, I hope they can continue this match. Doing the victory dance. Because, yeah, the, yeah. what, what, what well, Maddie yeah, had yeah, to experience and, that- and the joy that brought her is just second yeah. to none and you want them to feel that
6: yeah and um i i mentioned it when i talk about it i mean friday i'm doing a show at the alexander for some conference group and i'm bringing maddie and she'll come out on stage with me for like five or six minutes because that's the next step for me but i will say my show at the red curb it's not that show Every once in a while, you know it's just me purely doing standup you know um, I've done stand-up for 32 years for 25 of it. I was just touring the country playing the improvs and the funny Bones and the crackers and doing an R-rated show and I lost some fans and gained some others um, but you know that'll be my show I think I've, like my brain is still uh, you know more David tellish. <laughs> And inspirational so i'm always writing jokes and i'm like i don't have a chance to do this so it's exciting for me and i know the audience uh the last time i was there i think we sold out so hopefully if you want to get tickets you go to red curb and it's going to be a rock and roll show but i'll talk sports too i mean you know i still have my gambling show that i do with hammer too so uh that's my other thing that i uh do besides stand-up
3: Early bird tickets are 15 bucks. Single tickets are $20, of course, after the early bird expires. Friday, July 21st, 8 o'clock. Doors opening at 7.30 at Red Curb. That's at 8403 East highway 36 in avon so I, I believe it's highway 36 rockville road it's at the same yes. place yeah, uh-huh. yeah.
6: Uh-huh. yes it
3: is Rockville to Road.
6: every fast food restaurant that's right that yeah. ever 36
3: it's called 36 because there's 36 stoplights mm-hmm. over the course yeah, of factories
2: across <laughs> that's right yeah
3: uh, but again early bird tickets 15 bucks at red curb the place for comedy friday july 21st eight o'clock scott appreciate it go guys, all right
2: hey thanks you guys Scott Long right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, we'll get back into the Pacers conversation coming up in about five or ten minutes. Jeremiah Johnson going to join us to recap last night's summer league game and where things stand for the Pacers at this point in the offseason. Kevin Acquary right here at on 93.5, 5, 107.5, The Fan.
3: Because in like 1982, he used to do a bit where he played Gandhi and he would ask questions to God. I thought it was funny. I was like 10. And one of his questions to God was, what does God have against the Indiana Pacers? And I was like 10 years old, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever, because I'm like, oh my gosh, Saturday Night Live just referenced the Indiana
2: Pacers. Is that a question we should ask Jeremiah Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> we should, right? We're going to get the chance to do so in just a minute, right? Yep, J.J. on the other side, recapping Summer League and taking a look at where the Pacers roster is. And I also will ask him about um, if he caught um, any of the Tyrese Halliburton appearance on Paul George's podcast. We'll do that on the other side of J.J. The-
7: you
4: are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
2: Alright, 9 o'clock hour here. Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports Sideline joins us right now. JJ, good Thursday morning to you.
5: Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Jake. It's been a while. It's good to talk to you.
2: When you say it's been a while, is that a shot at us for not asking you to come on?
5: No. I, you know, I think uh, it's not in season. I know there's been a little bit to talk about, but some of the topics over late June and July with free agency I'm not even allowed to talk about. So I, I understand, and if you had me on all the time, it wouldn't be fresh and exciting, right?
2: Look at that. It's a great great PR. That's a great press release you just wrote there on the Jeremiah Johnson appearances on the show. Yes, the moratorium certainly hinders what you can talk about, but I think we're good to go on that front. Um, let's just start overall, JJ, with Summer League. Uh, what have you liked by what you've seen so far out of these three games?
5: Well, initially, the headliners were the fact that you were going to get a chance to see Benedict Mather and Andrew Nevhardt and Isaiah Jackson. and I think that helped make it one of the more anticipated starts to summer league in, in recent years. And, you know, when I've asked before those first two games what you wanted to see. You wanted to see those guys stand out from the rest of the competition. And I think they did that. You know, they're, they're, there's a reason that they're all still playing there, or at least, had that experience just because they've got some things they need to work on but you look at them compared to some of the rookies not just their physique and, and their build and their strength but just the confidence and the way they carry themselves I was happy to see them take that next step and even you know, show some leadership when you're a rookie in the NBA and Isaiah Jackson even as a second year player last season you're still eyes wide open and you're still learning from the vets and in a summer league experience like that they were the vets and so I thought they did a good job of of taking the leadership, and the Pacers could not have been more impressive in the first two halves of those first two games of Summer League. And then it was a little bit of a step back yesterday, but you expected that with not having those three players and then the Thunder having some vets on their team playing in the game. Um, but I, I can't you know, finish this answer without saying that Jairus Walker has really impressed me, and I think everyone is really pleased with what the Pacers were able to get uh, at the top of the lottery.
3: JJ, is Andrew Nimhardt a point guard or a shooting guard?
5: <laughs> I don't know. It's it's good for him that in this era, it doesn't. You don't really have a label. You are a guard, and I, I don't know if he's better at one or the other. I tend to say, if you know, if I had to pick just one. I think he's probably a point guard. But uh, the playmaking, if you have two playmakers on the court and two guys that can shoot at the same time, if you're playing some combinations where he's out there with Tyrese Halliburton, I think you have a lot of options, and it it makes it tough on the defenses to know, all right, well, this guy is going to actually penetrate and drive and create, and his name's not Tyrese Halliburton. So I like the versatility that he provides, but if you had to ask me what his biggest strength is, I kind of think he's a point guard.
3: Okay, I, and I'm assuming... I agree with that, by the way. J.J., you were not listening to the program earlier when we were talking about the Pacers, correct? I was not. Okay, so and that's a good thing in this scenario because I was talking about a player. I want you to finish for me who I'm talking about. So we're, we're scoring how obvious this might be. A player that initially was brought in for probably off-court intangibles that each time they got on the court the franchise realized gosh it's kind of hard to keep this player off the court because he does really good things on the court that you don't necessarily think he would and even as other players are accumulated at his position it's going to be hard to keep him off the roster because the front office sees such value in the intangibles and the camaraderie that he creates amongst his teammates that is who that's probably tj mcconnell would you agree with that assessment
5: uh yes but i would say it's not just the intangibles when you look at the way he played last season and specifically how he improved His shooting. Uh, There are some similarities with Ian Andrew Nemhard that you know you're you would have been you know crazy to say this maybe two years ago that well yeah T.J. McConnell can actually play some two guard or he can play some off the ball. Now he's not going to ever I don't think be in the three point contest All Star Weekend, but he can be on the court in a dual playmaking role as well. And so if you had those three guards as point guards and you found some way with your minutes to play them together. And then you've also got Benedict Mather and whatever, that's why I think it's good. He's accepting some, some time at the, at the three. Um, So maybe he could play with two of those guys at the same time. Uh, I think that that McConnell is still not at the point yet where you just want to say, well, we've, we've got his replacement. It's Andrew Nemar. He's the backup point guard because Andrew Nemar did play and start all those games. As you mentioned, Uh, as the two-guard. So I think T.J. McConnell has brought great value to the franchise, some stability. He's someone that gets the crowd energized. And I've said a lot of different times, you need a lot of different kinds of personalities on a team. And that's where you know we've talked on this show about Buddy Heald and some of the things that he brings to the team. T.J. McConnell brings a little bit of a different swagger and a little bit of a different intensity level that you just have to find a spot for him. Now the question is, can you always find – playing time because nine man rotation is sort of natural in the NBA early in the season. Maybe you play 10 and he's never complained about coming out of the game. The question is, there's been times when he's had it really going, then he finishes and someone else is not going to play at the end of the game. So I think it's a dilemma. It's a pleasant problem to have too many players that you trust and that are capable. But I do think that TJ McConnell specifically brings some things that you don't have. Uh, just in, with his experience, with his tenacity, that you don't want to just forget about, even as, with these other young players developing.
2: Jeremiah Johnson with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Obviously, you see him pre- and post-game sidelines with Valley Sports and What are we, probably, I don't know, two months? Yeah, two months-ish, two and a half months probably away from uh, training camp and and getting into those preseason games as the Pacers get things started here after their summer league uh, concludes. JJ, roster questions. I'll throw two at you. Feel free to either play off of them or add to those. A couple of roster questions I have right now for the Pacers. What are they doing behind Miles Turner at center? Because I feel like there's a lot of them. And then how do they divvy up those minutes for the guards and wings? Because, again, I think it's a good problem to have, but I think there's a lot of guys in that kind of 2-3 range. Uh, Again, feel free to play off that or add to any roster questions you have right now.
5: There have been years, Kevin, where you went into training camp and you knew these were your set starting five and these were your your backup five, and... The guys wearing the yellow jerseys—you know—you didn't think they were going to have a chance in practice to go up to move up a spot. I do think that this year in training camp, there's going to be more competition. There's going to be opportunities. You know, we don't even mention Aaron Neesmith or Jordan Warren in any conversations in the last month or so because of the players that have been brought in. But they had really productive seasons, and in March and April, we were talking about what a bright spot they were in this season because of what they were able to do when given an opportunity. So I'm not sure how you're going to divvy up the playing time with specifically the guards and the wings. I'm really fascinated though, to see how buddy healed handles everything, because I don't think he's going to take the, the starting spot and just say, it's okay. Someone else can start, but if he's back and if he's bought in, there's a really good chance that at some point this season, and maybe it's even from day one, that his best role is the sixth man, the sharpshooter off the bench. The guy that maybe doesn't start a game, but that maybe sometimes is the guy on the court finishing a game. So, um, that's the one guy I'm most interested to see what happens. I still think you've got to go into this season where, you know, Halliburton and Matherin, you gotta see what those guys look like playing together and in your starting five. And then who's that other backcourt wing type of player? You know you've got Miles Turner, but then the other question is is at the four. Um I think Obi Toppin is going to get every opportunity at that spot. But I also, much like I said uh, about Buddy Hill, I don't think Aaron Neesmith, who started a lot at the four, is just going to gladly say, hey, Obi, it's okay. It's your position. I'm going to I'm gonna kind of go to the background. So that's what training camp is going to be. It's uh, going to be really exciting. And then the bigs, it's logical that of the centers, one of them is, is not there. Uh, you know, when you've got – uh, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, Miles Turner, and then you've got Daniel Tice. Everyone thinks, well, Daniel Tice won't be there, but I, they really like Daniel Tice, and he's brought a lot of things. And if you're going to be a team that is really ready to make that next step and to be a playoff team, not a rebuilding team this season, then a guy like Daniel Tice does have a lot of value. And I think people so, sort of uh, maybe underestimate him because he was billed as a throw-in. He was injured a lot. His age is a little bit different than the rest of the core. But it would not shock me if he's back. At the same time, if he's a value to another team, then I could see him getting an opportunity to go elsewhere. So there probably is another move to be made with the center group. I don't think if all four of those guys are back and one of them's not playing, I don't think that person would be particularly happy. And the way they're gonna play probably with one center and maybe a, a smaller four you maybe would have two of those guys not playing. So that's that's not good for any of those guys who have had a lot of experience in the league. It's okay if you've got a younger player. Um, but I could see something happening with one of those centers.
3: Jeremiah Johnson's our guest. He's on the Payless Lakers Hotline. You, of course, see him on sidelines for Pacer games on Valley Sports Indiana. J.J., uh, recently on Twitter, a guy named Paul, uh, Paul Coffey, by the way, um, said to me uh, you're nothing but a coward you're a little man you're just like everybody else a libtard are you sheltered in your bathtub yet later he mentioned he's from Peru Indiana Uh, I was curious how long have you used the alias
5: that was not me, no. You uh, sure that's not I
3: your burner no account? account?
5: J.J.'s
0: next-door neighbor <laughs> growing up
2: there. Uh-huh.
5: <laughs> and, I, and I'm a big fan of Peru. I wave the flag for the hometown, but I cannot endorse every single person uh, in that city.
2: Rock Hollow Golf Course. Let's go, J.J. Great, great establishment <laughs> up there in Peru. Um,
5: anyway. And uh, I should say, we have discussions about this every once in a while. Starting Saturday and for the next eight days, the world's largest amateur circus begins in peru indiana at circus festival week so yeah. if you're ever going to go if you're ever going to go visit uh next week is the time
2: i that, thought that I, best I, western I, off 31 is going to be popping with I thought it, that with was west, west virginia viewers. basketball actually
3: oh, so the, the the world's largest amateur circus begins when
5: saturday and the festival actually goes monday through the following saturday Parade day, which is always one of the best days in Peru, is uh, a week from Saturday. Do
3: they use animals in the circus?
5: It is an amateur circus. It's not your traditional that you would think of animal circus. They have in the past had an elephant act. I don't know if that's returning, but uh, it's it's all youngsters, emphasize the amateur, and they do some amazing high-wire flying trapeze. Uh, Is that your ringtone in the background we're hearing?
3: <laughs> 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 he, he probably can't hear it, right? JJ, you never, oh, you never participated, I right?
5: I did one year, uh, so I, I can't say that I ever uh, was flying through the air on the flying trapeze, mm-hmm. but I did get that experience, and a lot of youngsters in Peru... Uh, get a great experience all summer, and they put on a fantastic show. What,
3: so, what was your role?
5: Was I me to, to support us.
3: What did you do? Were you like a tumbler? Did you? Jake wants to spend twenty five
2: yeah, minutes did, on this. Jake. I do.
5: <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. I apologize. Uh, I was in Roman ladders and side by side, which are kind of the stepping stone acts to the bigger and, and more dangerous acts. But Roman ladders is sort of how it sounds. There were three, usually boys in the middle, and then you had lighter. Uh, athletes on the side of the ladders and you move the ladders in and out and they would do tricks as the ladders moved and then side by side was a a double trapeze that you just did some tricks as a a first grader that uh, maybe you wouldn't have thought that a first grader could do.
2: Probably good to note, like the pacers have a backup option for a halftime show if all else fails and you know snow doesn't allow quick change to get into the arena they can just throw jj out Fantastic. there with a, with a ladder. <laughs>
3: quick change by the way unfortunately no more
2: <laughs> uh jj any chance to listen to the Tyrese Halliburton appearance on the paul george podcast
5: uh, I'm about halfway through it actually. I, I started to listen to it and then I got interrupted and I didn't get to finish all of it just yet. But uh, I did. I did partake and I do plan to finish later
2: today or tomorrow. Thoughts so far?
5: Uh, you know, I, I thought it was it was fun to hear them interact together. It, you know, Paul has grown a lot from when he first you know came into the NBA. He's always been a good interview. But I, it was fun to hear him sort of take the lead in, in a podcast like that and and steer the, the ship, so to speak, and take it in different directions. Um, I, I really did appreciate what Paul had to say about the training staff. And I do – I think it was good. At first I was like, oh, no, where's he going with this when he started talking about the fines and how strict everyone was. But uh, I think he – it was good to hear him say that there was – some benefits to that and that Tyrese is okay with that too. I don't picture the Pacers as one of these stringent uh, strict organizations, but I do know you're in the NBA and if there's a time at 930 that you're supposed to be in the training room, that doesn't mean 931. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with a little fine. I've been threatened with fines before. Uh, for a few things, but I've never actually had to pay. I think they understand my bank account. The what, f-
3: what possibly could you have done other That's than more. keeping your headsets on too loud during the national anthem? What, what possibly could you have been fined for?
5: <laughs> well, it wasn't for being late, but uh, this is just another random story. But there was one time in Portland when I was having severe back pains and one of the massage therapists was working me out. However, it was the same time they were going through a, a team psychology meeting. And so I, it was not very considerate of the me or the massage therapist to do that in view of everyone else. So mm-hmm. Dan Burke came over and told me, you know, that's a fine, right? Um, but my back got worked on and I actually never had to pay the fine. So uh, that was double good thing for me i, I thought maybe it Back was because i QC know
2: see kinetics for a call jj on that end <laughs> I-,
3: I know that from the indy 500 standpoint i get fined anytime i don't refer to denari as C- sir chris and i thought maybe that was the same <laughs> d- d- do you have that in your contract also
5: no we don't there was going to be a fine like, a few years ago we were going to have a jar for saying fox sports instead of valley sports and i made it through a whole year without saying uh fox and then like for some odd reason going to break once like a year and a half after that i said um fox sports but uh there was no fine for that either
2: Smothered chicken, fine if, if anyone besides Quinn says that during a uh, <laughs> during a broadcast. Uh, JJ, going back to the Paul Tyree thing, I, I encourage Pacers fans to to listen to it. I, I I think they'll enjoy it. I mean, I guess if you have like massive Paul George scar tissue, maybe you want to stay away from it. But I enjoyed the back and forth. It's clear that they are friends, or certainly communicate on a pretty frequent basis. I enjoyed their stories about the organization. I enjoyed about their respective takes on their own games within the. NBA. I think it's a fun listen.
5: I was looking forward to hearing it. I heard that it was going to happen at one point. And, you know, going into three agencies, someone was asking, what kind of player do the Pacers need? I said, well, they need Paul George uh, uh, they do. from about five years ago. I mean, that's the kind of guy that they really need to complete their roster. And so obviously things have changed. I like you. I heard you talking on Monday about the podcast about Paul. Uh, you don't have any ill will or, you know, venom towards Paul. I've softened quite a bit. I think the first year or two, I was still a little frustrated. And then I think maybe even a few years later when um, the Anthony Davis story came out, I was kind of like, all right, do we have to just continue to pile on here? But I I, I really like Paul. He's He was good for my career. We had some really good interviews. And I think deep down, he was just looking for a little bit of a different start. And I, who knows? Stranger things have happened, right? The Patriots... Uh, they've had a lot of reunion stories so I don't know I wouldn't rule it out at some point in the future
3: talk about what is his circus and and I don't know JJ what is Paul George's contractual status
5: I believe he has two years left but at some point there's going to be another deal maybe not as rich as he signed originally and health is always the big concern right now but I think and age and healthier well true and you know the fact that you know, he had that surgery, so his game is a little different than it was pre-injury. However, he's still effective, and, you know, I was talking with someone, think about the way he played that New Year's Eve game. You know, you can kind of forget individual random games in the course of the season. The Pacers won on New Year's Eve, but I think Paul had almost 50 points, if not 50, <laughs> in that game, and so that was just this past season. He still has the capability to defend on the wing, knock down the three, get inside and score through contact as well as anyone, um, it, age is a big thing. And, again, timelines are different. But, um, you know, it would not shock me. Uh, you, I wouldn't have said that two or three years ago. But who knows at this point if you're trying to find that next missing piece.
3: He has a player option at the end of next season. But he is scheduled to make $48.7
5: How yeah. old is he? I mean, he's got to thing, be, what, 33,
2: 34?
3: Uh, he well, is 33 he was, years old yeah
5: so he's not going to get another contract paying in that much per season but if he opts out at the end of next season and again i'm not saying this from a pacers perspective just from a this is what paul Dorks is probably look at and i'm sure he would like to get after next year another three or four depending upon you know what level he's playing at but would probably accept in the 20 high 20s range I don't know I mean we'll, we'll see how he plays this year and what happens with the Clippers but um I don't think he's going to get in the 40s again
3: Paul George career earnings Kevin Bowen go your guess <laughs> um I don't first know. guess boom two 200 Mark Dyke 185 Jeremiah career earnings Paul
2: George go uh what
5: was what was Kevin's
2: I said 200
5: I'm gonna go over, so I, I say two fifteen, two twenty 220,
2: two twenty. Yeah, now that I think about it over. The first first extension was ninety million, right here. Two hundred and sixty five point three million dollars.
3: Yeah, he's done all right for himself.
2: JJ, you a bigger fan of the in game penalty for flops coming up for a technical free throw this year or the second challenge if you win the first challenge?
5: I am a big fan of the flop penalty, although I'm a little concerned of how they're going to. Sounds like a lot uh, of gray area it. to me. Yeah, because if there is contact, I actually heard. Um, I think Joe Dumars on one of the broadcasts yesterday trying to explain it a little bit, and he said we can't. If there is contact, we can't say how hard the contact was. So I think what they're trying to do is eliminate the egregious. You know, a guy doesn't even get hit and flops and falls down. The biggest pet peeve that I have. And, you know, we saw it a lot from the team from the Eastern Conference that went to the NBA Finals as they shoot and then they just fall down before, like, it, it's part of their their follow-through sometimes. <laughs> and I don't know. You're always going to get a little contact, especially inside when you shoot. So I, I don't think those would be considered flops. But if you can get some of those out of the game, it is one of the things that bothers me. And I, I think it's bad, too, because you got the youngsters that are watching and you don't need to just fall down every time um, you get hit going to the basket because you are going to get a foul a lot of times when you do fall down. But it's not—I don't know—it's not as pure. However, um, if they get some of those out of the game, I will be happy. And even just the threat of fines or technical fouls, even though they had they had those flopping fines before, but you never heard them actually issue those fines. So I am happy to get some of that out of the game. I. It, If Early on, maybe it'll be one of those things where there are a few technicals given just to kind of make a statement sort of like they do in the NFL with pass interference or some other things. I'm okay to see those early and just to get that mindset where you're not just trying to fall down and get a foul. You are trying to score, and if you get fouled, great. That's where I want to see it get to, and hopefully they can take some steps in that direction. I'm not dying to see more replay reviews, but I do think if you get – a, a play where you wanted to challenge in the second quarter you shouldn't then also not have one in the final minutes of the game when it when it could really matter so i do like what they did they, there's no need to continue to you know oh if you get two right you can get your challenge back a third time just i think this is the perfect balance on the challenges so i'm happy about that but i'm really interested to see uh the flopping and how that's executed
3: i i think i'm actually in this whole conversation jeremiah i'm most both impressed Impressed and incredulous over your assumption that Roman ladder is like a household term that everybody knows what that is. Do you know what that is, Kevin? A Roman no, ladder?
2: No, no. He was saying a lot of stuff that I was like, "Dude, is I the Roman ladder with circus
1: where the, jargon?
2: Yeah. Is, is,
3: is, it's like a cheerleading move, is it not? Where like one fella and then he's got two people. He's got his arms outstretched and he's holding on to two people and spinning around. Is that a Roman ladder?
5: Well, I, I guess I only know the Peru circus version of the Roman ladders and. It's. I mean, you know what a ladder is, correct?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I know what a Roman a candle is. Is it like a Roman candle? Are there pyrotechnics no, involved?
5: No, there's no fire. Um, <laughs> but on the ladder, on the side, there are just three bars, and uh, the people on the outside are standing on the bars. So you got to be kind of strong. And That was the base of the of the ladder. But all you're really doing is keeping a good balance, and you're pushing out when the whistle blows, and then you're bringing it in. Um when when the whistle blows again and they're doing the tricks on the outside. So hmm. I, I guess I should invite everyone. They can, they can Google circus, Roman ladders, even Peru circus, and I'm sure you'll get it's some. It's kind of like a delivery you, a you were
2: mimicking there, like a baby being delivered there with some of the lingo you were just using.
5: <laughs> I know. As I started to describe it, I was thinking I maybe could have used better words, but oh well.
2: well do we get a schedule release, what? Is that typically mid to late August? I, I kind of forget when the NBA... Releases their uh, regular season
1: schedule.
5: Yeah, it's usually about the second week of August, and I think last year it may have even been delayed a week because they were uh, concerned about what team Kevin Durant was going to play on. I think, and then they just decided, well, it doesn't really matter. We'll just have to make the schedule what it is. I'm I'm fascinated to see they have all a lot of different variables when they put the schedule together with arena availability, and you know, look for the Pacers this season. There are a number of concerts. In November and December, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, uh, some really good acts. But those are nights the Pacers can't play home games. And then you look at February. Usually the team is that hosts the All-Star game is not in town the week before that. And I believe the NCAA tournament is going to be Gamebridge Fieldhouse as well in March. So that's just one team of 30. The NBA has a lot to work through. And then you throw in uh, the variables with the – mid-season tournament or the in-season tournament where you've got to play those pod teams on Tuesdays and Fridays in November, and then you've got to leave the open dates in the first weekend of December for the teams that make the Final Four. I do not envy the schedule makers. I do know they use computers, simulations to be able to put all that together, but as for a date, it is one of my favorite dates of the year, especially when we're back traveling because it does set my six-month calendar in motion and I know where I'm going to be when, and it's usually that second week of august at some point so you can look for nba today or nba tv whenever they put a little random special program on on a wednesday or a thursday in the second week of august it's probably what it's going to be
3: do you have to be from peru to be in the circus or do they have like imports from tipton and stuff i believe you have to live in miami county
2: oh okay now that's where Ru- ruth riley was from right the notre dame that's legend correct
5: yeah, she went to North Miami High School. But when you when you drive through Peru, uh, there's a big mural for Ruth Riley uh, just under over the under the overpass, um, right near Harvey Hinkle Myers, another iconic Peru establishment. So,
2: well, what a riveting conversation this has been, JJ, about <laughs> I, Peru. JJ, I'm going to the circus. When is it again? It, it, the first show is Saturday. I believe there's one again
5: on Sunday. Actually, they might even have Family Night Friday. But you really need to go either mo- from Monday to the following Saturday because that's when the festival is also downtown. So not only can you catch the show at, like, 7 o'clock in the evening, but you go at, like, 5 o'clock, and the Peru Lions Club has the best tenderloin
3: you've ever had downtown. I thought you said no animals. <laughs>
2: It's the Lions Club. Come on now, Jay. Last, last question, JJ. Curtis (laughs) says in the YouTube chat that his cab driver told him that Peru's got the best disc golf course around. Uh, (laughs) Is that true?
5: Well, it is good. I I don't know how to compare it to other disc golf courses. I think there's one over by by
2: SOM, isn't there? By SOM Water Park and SOM Golf Course.
5: I've only been on two, but I did play the Peru Disc golf course by uh I think it's McConaugha Park in summer P E class. That was one of our activities. So oh, that sounds uh, awesome. A lot of gems in Miami County. I'm glad we could we could expose some of those today. Blue. I'm sure this is right up Jake's alley. Right? Once I mentioned circus, I knew we were going to go down oh, that yeah.
3: direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's beautiful.
2: JJ, great stuff, man. Enjoy the rest of the quiet time this summer, and uh, always enjoy our conversations.
3: All right, Jake, if you are you really going to go to the circus? Wait, I, listen. I just watched online. I don't know. Is it in the school gym? Because like the the facility itself looks amazing.
5: Oh, it's not the school gym. It's the actual. It, I mean, it's the circus building.
3: Right. It, okay. It, it is. The problem it is. is, I'm, I'm gone. With... Here's the thing, JJ. I'm gone tomorrow okay. and through Sunday in Toronto for IndyCar, and then the week, and the next weekend, I'm gone Friday to Sunday in Iowa for IndyCar. All right.
5: So Monday night through Thursday night are all going to be good nights in in Peru. And if you go downtown, walk around, get yourself an elephant ear. But I recommend the tenderloin. There's usually nickel pitch, which you can win or lose, you know, $0.35, cents, um, which is always one of my favorites. Can I get stops. a
3: PBR at Homer's? Is it still open?
5: Homer's is not still open, unfortunately. Uh, shout out to Homer. but um, Bailey? Uh, I might, what? <laughs> it's Bowling not out. Homer
3: Bailey. Oh, no, no, Okay. <laughs>
5: But, but there are places
3: you can get a PBR. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure at yes. the old Peru yeah. fair, you can get a whole just, lot That's one, one of
1: the carnies yeah. at the fair. Better, better, really known as, better known
3: as breakfast in Peru. Yes, that's right. A whole yeah. lot more than just <laughs> uh-huh. your
2: average PBR there. JJ, great stuff. Thank you. Okay. Jeremiah Johnson, right there on the payless liquor line. Peru's
3: breakfast refreshment,
2: also known as PBR. Yes, say, you can get a lot, boy. <laughs> I can only imagine what's in that PBR. Um, this from Noah. I guess I missed this earlier. Thank you, Noah, for this. Um, Kevin Hart was supposed to be the MC of the ESPYS, but with the rider strike, he dropped out. So Pat McAfee became the new.
3: I figured it was just because McAfee's getting ready to
2: do a show there right i thought it was just you know same reason Cross why i'm these- doing everything else like hey we're paying you all this yeah. money why don't you want you to host this too same reason why you have all these other you know nbc people that you know do things during the indy 500 you're obviously trying to promo people on your own station there
3: from what i saw the snippets that i saw he did a good job
2: uh, sp's last night for those that missed it other things that we might have missed last night so let's go over them on the morning check down let's-
3: the morning
4: checkdown. Omaha, Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan.
2: The dream of an undefeated summer league is over for the Indiana Pacers. They lose the Thunder last night 99 uh, 87. Basically, the Thunder played their kind of A guys, Chet Holmgren being one of them 25 points, nine rebounds, five blocks. Pacers playing more of their, I would say, C guys with several of their veterans now done. For the rest of Summer League, Jairus Walker had 20 points and 11 rebounds. Great floater. Great little teardrop he was showing off a little bit yesterday. Isaiah Wong, the second-round pick out of Miami, had 17 points on 7 of 13 shooting. A really quiet night for Ben Shepard. Just five points, the other first-round pick for the Pacers on 2 of 9 shooting. Two games left for the Pacers. We know they'll play tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. They'll have one more game Coming up this weekend before they close the book on the Summer League.
3: If Jarrett Walker continues to develop a teardrop shot, then his nickname could be Samuel L. Mark Jackson. Right? Combines both. The physical traits, the the basketball traits... Kevin seems unimpressed
2: I, by my. I don't connection. think that was one of your better ones. No, I'm
1: not, that was the whole show. Not trying to, to be funny. I'm not trying to be
3: Queen funny. I'm, to be funny. I'm being serious. Looks like looks like Samuel L. Jackson plays like Mark.
2: That kind of is very reminiscent of how the Fever have played <laughs> over the you, last Mark. couple I thought of. Thought you weeks. were talking to me. You looked right at me. <laughs> that is eight straight losses for you the don't Fever. Want this smoke. Although there was some <laughs> entertainment yesterday over there at GameBridge Field. That was a noon tip for the Fever. They came back from I think it was 18, maybe even 20 down. Aliyah Boston hit a three right at the buzzer. To force the game at overtime, but they cannot complete the comeback. They are five and fifteen now as they head for the All Star break.
3: Uh, last night in soccer, Panama advancing to the Gold Cup final to face Mexico. That's because in penalty kicks, they defeated the united states also yesterday it was announced there will be a second show of the eagles with steely dan because of ticket demand for show number one at gambridge Fieldhouse, but none of that is of concern if you're going to take on the pop quiz because we are giving away still tickets correct mark yes for the eagles and steely dan as well as for the, the first fun show, and 9th. excitement
2: and no shock there here in the second show i mean think about how crowded these phone lines have been
3: that's right well, yesterday, what was, uh, was it Beth? Was that her name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Beth, Beth. Born in. Central product, Beth. Just to win the tickets, basically.
2: 317-239-1070, right? Yes, that's correct. Let's give us a call for the pop quiz. Uh, Eagles tickets, Steely Dan tickets, we're giving away. A pair of them next here on Kevin Acquara here, 93.5-107.5. 5, 5, fa-
4: Have you studied... Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Quarry. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985.
2: Boy, it has been a lot of baseball questions this week on the Pop Quiz. You're familiar with the season, right? Yeah, usually Scotty can get obscure, you know, maybe a few Wimbledon questions here. Uh, IndyCar, Toronto. You got your passport, Jake? I do. Thank you. Actually, thank you. Who's our defending Go champ in Toronto? That's
3: a good trivia question, right there. Um, is it New Garden?
2: Probably safe to guess Scott Dixon, right?
3: I think it was Dixon, wasn't it, last year? I think that's right. you looking that up, Mark? I'm looking it up. They all run together to me, to be honest with you, and I hate saying that. I know that that sounds lame. But it's really hard for me. And then we get to the racetrack, and once I get to the track and in my location, then I look at it. I'm like, oh yeah,
1: boom, and I can remember everything that happened. It's very strange. Scott Dixon, Colton Herta, Felix Rosenquist, your top three last year. Yeah, this
2: could be good news for Indiana fans, and welcome to life of 2023 in college sports. And a question that I threw to Mike DeCorsi a little bit earlier: uh, Chris Ledlam, he was a Harvard basketball player that Indiana was in hot pursuit in the transfer. Transfer portal, back probably a little bit over a month ago. Uh, he is now re-entered the old portal. Uh, had committed to Tennessee. Averaged nearly nineteen points and nine rebounds last year with Harvard. Um, kind of like a wing fit, which I think again Indiana could still use. We'll see. You know if the McKenzie Baco situation means no on that front or how that will all play out. But
3: I've always wondered this: Does that mean? Does that mean that you've accumulated like 85 credit hours at Harvard University and now we're going to graduate from Indiana or Tennessee?
2: Well, if he's a grad transfer, oh, he's a grad right, transfer. You know, he okay. already would have gotten his so I didn't sorry,
3: I didn't realize yeah. he was a grad transfer.
2: You know, the Ivy League had some weird rules with that, uh, you know, during COVID and all of that and Notre Dame had Paul Atkinson transfer there and I I felt like the Ivy League at one point Maybe this is for undergrads, but if you transferred, you couldn't transfer right away and play. You had to sit out. Again, Ledlum's case, I assume, that he graduated from Harvard there. But, yeah, telling people you graduated from Harvard versus Tennessee probably is a little bit of a different conversation <laughs> starter.
3: But I've played in seven more games. Okay. Um Number one through, this would be what numbered year for Ledlam in terms of his college basketball career? Fifth?
2: I do love Rocky Top. Rocky Top better than Harvard's fight song. (laughs) Uh, Sure. (laughs) Let's go with five.
3: Caller number five, Mark. Bruce. Bruce! Bruce.
2: All right.
7: Bruce!
2: Bruce, you have called before, right?
7: Uh, Months ago. Back in March, I think. Uh, Bruce, are you a
3: working individual, retired individual, working
7: from home? Working
3: from home, okay. And now, have you always worked from home, or did that begin with COVID and just kind of never went away?
7: No, for about twenty-six years, I really? used to work in hotels. And then uh,
3: now, wow. now let me ask Bruce. I'm fascinated by this. You worked in hotels. What exactly did you do in the hotel business?
7: Uh, I was sales and marketing director and uh, booked groups into hotel business
3: okay now when i when i pay for a hotel room uh, are they aware of the fact that there's a chance i might keep one of the towels is that built into my room cost
7: <laughs> yes yes there's losses that are you know figured in and and uh if people that you know people that stay at hotels the first time think that there's uh someone waiting at the front door to check your luggage
3: Who, who's the but most not. famous person that you're aware of that stayed at one of the hotels you're working in
7: um had the Sheik from uh, from uh, the Middle Middle East uh, buying horses when I worked down in Lexington at the Hyatt Regency. The Iron Sheik? Oh. Came in for the Keen- Keeneland sales, and uh, they fly in in their own jets, and they were so long. The bigger jets, they had to fly into Louisville and then take uh, SUVs over to, or, uh, you know, limos over to Lexington because their plane couldn't land in Lexington.
3: Now was the Sheik a nice fellow? Imagine a limo pointed at Bucky's.
7: Yeah. I never got to meet him, but, <laughs> but yeah, they even paid to have, um, windows changed so they could crank the windows open because they were used to fresh air from there. And they, they paid, you know, like $50,000 to have windows change one year and then every year they would stay in that suite when they would come over for the horse sales
2: gosh i'm just trying to request an extra towel to potentially Um, shower bruce do you know why
3: by the way this is not part of the pop quiz because we'll get to that quickly do you know why kentucky is believed to be the most coveted land to raise horses Uh, i think the bluegrass
7: that is correct it
3: It has to do with the minerals that are underneath the surface in terms of the earth surface in the kentucky area and the nutrients that provides to the grass itself for the horses that is correct
7: yeah i had never been in that area around you know horse racing and uh, this was in the mid 80s and quite quite impressive over there some some of those horse farms and the breeding farms
3: yeah it is big business big money and beautiful animals no question
2: um congrats on the tickets uh before we get to the pop quiz who's your favorite athlete named bruce of all time
7: oh um wow um uh, the only one i can think of like bruce bocce or um bruce how
3: myth bruce matthews bruce Souter,
7: bruce bowen oh, yeah. bruce Souter was very good yes
3: bruce jenner
7: <laughs> yeah, oh boy. yeah with the turn he took in his life i kind of mm-hmm. let him let him go by the wayside he
3: was a great athlete we can say that he right was. yeah he
7: was uh, being an athlete
3: yes brute would uh, bruce would you like for me or for kevin to lead you off with question number one
7: um Jake, everybody knows you a little bit better, so I'll go with Kevin. Wow! Well, okay. All right, Bruce, I appreciate <laughs> okay. that. I How guess about
2: that? <laughs> uh, the second half of the MLB <laughs> season begins tomorrow night. So, uh, which team currently has the best record in the majors? Would it be the Rays, the Rangers, the Dodgers, or the Braves?
7: Uh, that now would be the Braves.
3: All right, Bruce, for question number two, we're going to find out how well you know me because I have a popular nickname for this particular franchise that is the correct answer for number two. Name the only team in major leagues with a better than 600 winning percentage that is not leading its division. Marlins, Orioles, Astros, or Diamondbacks?
7: Um, with over 600. That's not leading their division? Correct. I'm- I would have to say the Orioles have been sneaking up there.
3: Do you happen to know the nickname that I have for the Orioles?
7: <laughs> uh, no, I can't remember that.
3: All right, question
2: uh, number like three. you guys 10? are great friends then. <laughs> uh, 89 years ago today, Babe Ruth hit home run number 700. Bruce named the last player to hit his 700th Major League home run. Was it Barry Bonds, A-Rod, Albert Pujols, or Miguel Cabrera?
7: 700 that would be um,
2: guy that I hated for a long long time but a great player Barry Bonds you sure
3: Bruce this is a guy that I covered for the one major league baseball team that I have covered in my career I covered this guy when he came up through spring training
7: Albert Pujols
3: okay. uh, question number four on Tuesday night Elias Diaz hit his second go-ahead home run with his team trailing in the eighth inning of... Sixth. Oh, sorry, his sixth go-ahead home run. We'll try this all over again. Sorry. On Tuesday night, Diaz hit the sixth go-ahead home run with his team trailing in the eighth inning or later in All-Star Game history. Who was the last player before Diaz to accomplish that feat? Was it Hank Blalock, Cookie Rojas, Gus Bell, or Mike Schmidt?
7: Well, let's go with the latest would be Mike Schmidt. Okay.
2: All right, to round things out, Bruce, 20-year-old Carlos Alcaraz, number one seed as well, advanced to the men's semifinal at Wimbledon. Who was the last 20-year-old to reach the Wimbledon men's semis? Was it A, Rafi Nadal, B, Pat Cash, C, another semifinalist this year, Novak Djokovic, or D, Richard Gasquet? I don't think you'd
7: throw in a name like that last one unless they had done it. So let's try Rush Mm. Day.
2: Tricky, tricky. Boy, excellent. Excellent strategy by Bruce. Scotty, that's a young semifinal quartet back in that 2007 Wimbledon. By the way, Bruce,
3: the Orioles I have nicknamed over the years cute fella because the little bird on their hat looks like a cute fella. (laughs) He's, yeah, yeah, he's that's just very saying, good. He's just saying, "Hey, root, root for me." Uh, question number one was indeed the Atlanta that Braves at sixteen twenty-nine. Question two, the Baltimore Orioles at six oh seven. 7 Albert Pujols, correct for question Loud number three. And proud. But question number four, he went with Mike Schmidt. Answer actually with a two-run home run in the bottom of the eighth in two thousand three of Eric Gagne, Hank Blaylock, the correct. Answer. You <laughs> And go back Djokovic for question number five.
2: Yes, that 2017 Wimbledon. You had Nadal at 21 years old, Djokovic at 20. And the answer Bruce went with, Gasquet at 21 years old. I mean, he goes without saying, Scotty. It's got to be the youngest ever, right? Yes, the out out. Who the fourth would have been? Well, Federer would be a decent guess, right? Uh, tomorrow you have the semifinals for the men's a Wimbledon championship, you have the 1, 2, and 3 seed all left in Alcaraz, Djokovic, and Medvedev.
3: Am I the only that thinks that uh, Federer looks like Quentin Tarantino? Oh, I think you've brought that or up. Or Ken before. Softman. Take your pick.
2: Is he done-done, Federer? Yes. Are we sure? Is Tarantino? I feel like with him... I, Nadal, though, is not done-done, right? He's just out due to injury currently and Djokovic continues to pad his lead with that all right we'll do it one final time here Kevin Quarry on a Thursday so you've got a little
3: time to get down to Monument Circle this morning on the southeast quadrant of the circle basically in front of Circle Theater just outside of where we are until two o'clock today it is the 34th annual American Dairy Association of Indiana uh, Ice Cream Social I'll be Scooping out Sundays, I think from twelve thirty to one. So look forward to anybody that comes down. Be sure to say hi. I believe the toppings available: uh, caramel, butterscotch, hot fudge, and chocolate. Kevin, you said you would go with you'd be a hot fudge. I'd go with hot fudge. Okay, uh, Mark, caramel. I'd go with butterscotch. Um.
2: And I cannot encourage enough people just come down to the circle right now. Spark on the circle is what it's called, you know. Basically, in front of our building, Jake kind of referenced the six to nine p.m. on a clock. Uh, the southwest corner, you have these astroturf kind of set up, uh, you know, picnic type areas and foosball and cornhole, ping pong tables, and it's just a great spot to hang out your lunch break take a break during work come down to family whatever you want to do little food trucks and different types of trucks not just necessarily all food trucks set up down there and uh it's a cool vibe do you think eventually they they do that all the way around the circle i think it should be permanent all the way around that's my two cents of knowing very little
3: also kevin on doing the same with broaderpool avenue I think I that, do something that would
2: make avenue. a lot of sense to me as well the, the, the,
3: the only one, problem is broaderpool avenue is such a thoroughfare of traffic
2: yeah the one bummer for that is you don't have the amount nearly amount the across streets that you do down here to you know make things accessible. exactly i mean you know, 65th doesn't go all the way through so kessler East right now is mean, just a would nightmare. be a zoo yeah that already um, is yeah. yeah i mean 65th doesn't go all the way through 71st doesn't go all the way through so yeah you'd face some issues on that front
3: i can't believe this. so Today is thursday Mark, well i got one show left for the week I think it's been a long time. flying by. Really?
2: Yeah. I think
3: it flies by.
2: So you're Toronto bound tomorrow afternoon? Correct. Uh, Direct
3: flight, actually, from Indy to Toronto, which is nice. Typically, sometimes those can be harder to get. If you remember last year. Yeah, it seems pretty rare. uh, Last year on the way back, Graham Rahal did me a huge shallow by giving me a ride back from Toronto because I was a late addition to go there and didn't think I was going to get back in time to do the show. And Now, direct
1: flight is literally rare air. Oh, thank
2: you. (laughs) Coach Ursay on that one?
1: Uh, I would venture top
3: percentile to guess top percentile.
2: you guys will have a higher listenership this weekend with the viewing experience. This is the correct. lone Peacock race of the year?
3: That is correct. Peacock only, so you can certainly hear the race on this radio station as well as any other outlet for IndyCar Radio. But we certainly would hope and anticipate you would listen to it here on the fan.
2: Yeah, I would guess you guys would have a pretty good listen. That is, I think that's a really cool event. I mean, you think about Toronto. I mean, what is it, Jake? It's got to be top five most populated cities in the... Yeah, it's it, great. I in mean, North it's, America, right?
3: Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's like I said, it's kind of Chicago esque. It's cool. It's a great event and well attended there. People like it. So we'll chat probably. about
2: that a little bit tomorrow. Again, look ahead to the Pacers' final summer league game, and we are less than a month away from the Colts' preseason opener. Everybody, have a great Thursday. We'll chat to you
4: tomorrow.